Today's episode is brought to you by The Star Draft. Do you feel like you always know the Oscar nominees before they're announced, or wish that you could share just a bit of Meryl Streep's Oscar glory? Well, now you can. Experience awards season like never before. Sign up today to create or join a league at www.thestardraft.com. We share the, the same love, the, the love of film. And now what I'm about to say probably will stir up a lot of conversation around over the country. You commie, homo-loving sons of guns. It's not about you. It's about these characters. They are two of the finest gay Americans, two wonderful men. And I am greatly honored and tremendously moved. Don't let anybody tell you this isn't a terrific thrill. It would be a lie if I told you I didn't know what to say because I've been working on this speech for about 25 years. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. All you got to do is blink and I can do it for you. I'm Joey Gentili. And I guarantee whoever said the customer is always right was a customer. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. This is CO15, a.k.a. the men of 2015. We are halfway through this season already, which is insane to me. Well, I don't want to dwaddle because our guest today, we've actually had him on before. Um, but this is the first time that people who aren't on Patreon get to hear him. And he was such a delight with the episode that we had him on that we I remember saying the moment we hung up, you and I were like, we need to bring him back because so much fun, so knowledgeable. And now we get to fully talk with him about movies instead of ranking someone specifically. So I'm just going to bring him in. Um, ladies and gentlemen, she's beauty and she's grace. She's got expensive taste. She took 73 loads to the face. She's Miss United States, Miss Justin Edwards. Welcome back. Oh, hello. Hello. And just like Christian Bale, I'm going all in on those subprime mortgages. Hello. Hello. Yeah, this is, this is super awesome to actually be on the main season. Uh, I view the Jane Fonda episode as my pilot, as my test screen, you know, and I guess I, I guess I got the role. So here I am. So it is really exciting to be on like the main season and also to be discussing this year. It's going to be great. Welcome back. Um, <laughs> I am so excited to have you back. I know Brandon is as well. I'm, I'll, you know, give him a second here in just a moment. Um, but I just want to say thank you for coming back because um, usually coming back direct, I mean, technically it's one season later, but that, some people like to just not do it like that way. Like we offered it to someone else. Like we just did it. Let me just do something else. I'm like, okay, cool. So to have you back is awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for inviting me back. You know, like just, you can't keep me away. You can't keep a good hoe down from talking about Oscars. <laughs> and uh, why did you pick this year of all years, this decade? Okay. Um. So I'll try and keep it relatively brief, Uh. but I'll just, introduce my thesis and the reason why I chose 2015 specifically. So um, like I told you guys, like, you know, just in private messaging, like I, the reason I discovered your podcast was I love the Academy Awards and I love the actress acting awards. And so I was really, that's how I got into the podcast. And I was so looking forward to the 2010s where 
I think that the 2010s are the strongest run for the actress lineup in both like the lead and supporting, but especially the lead, like 2010 in general. That's like could be argued that's like the strongest lineup for the best actress field, like period. Um, but conversely, though, I feel like for the 2010s, the actor lineups have been pretty exceedingly bad and it's almost like a culmination of a lot of bad habits especially in the lead category lead actor category that have been building up for a while but it wasn't until this decade where it just became so pronounced and just so obvious and like the work that the men are doing are just not even comparable to what the women are doing this decade and the reason I chose 2015 is I feel like it all comes to a head in this year, and that's all to say for right now. But that's basically why I wanted to choose 2015. But I also just think it's a really fascinating year in general for the Oscars, especially considering what movies were in play and who was in play for the acting awards and just how everything like went down. Like I just think that it's a really, really, really interesting year in Oscar history. So that's kind of the the introduction and a taste of what can you expect when I'm when we are talking about this year and especially from the perspective I'm coming from. Can't say you're not prepared. Holy shit. You know, I like again, I like to be professional, okay? And again, I'm trying to earn back that professional card. <laughs> well, since you are back with us and you know how this goes by now, we're going to do the guessing of who we think uh, we're going to choose. So because you're our special guest who's coming back, start us off. Who do you think that Brandon and I are going to choose in lead and supporting? Okay, so um, I feel like this is going to be like a test run for all of us because like, I've gotten used to like knowing – kind of knowing what you guys are going to choose for the actresses. I don't know if that's going to transition into the men, though. And maybe what I'm expecting you guys to choose is just really off point. But I'm just going to go for it. So for Brandon, um, I feel like for lead, you're going to go with Matt Damon. And then supporting, something tells me that you're going to go for Mark Rylance just based on the kind of performances you go for. As for Joey, as for Joey, um, I just decided I'm just going to go full chaos agent and going to say Leonardo DiCaprio in the lead and Stallone in supporting. And again, I could be very off point with these selections, but but hey, you know what? It's we're doing the men now, so yay. <laughs> Brandon? Um, for Joey, I'm feeling Brian Cranston and Tom Hardy. Uh, for Justin, I guess um, Michael Fassbender and Mark Ruffalo. Okay, very, uh, very different takes from the both of you. Um, couldn't be more different. Um, Brandon, I could see you going Fastbender with because the way that you went with Winslet in 2015 for the ladies. However, Trumbo is a movie about a writer, and you're a writer. So I'm going to connect the dots here and go, you're going to be a little too obvious and go for Cranston. Um, for supporting, 
You know what? It's between two, but I'm going to stick with my gut feeling here. I'm going to say Mark Ruffalo. I'm going to say Ruffalo and Cranston for you. Um, for Justin, um, honestly, I don't know if you, with any of these categories, I'm going to go lead. I'm just going to say it. I'm, I think you might go Leo for the Revenant. I think you'll agree with the Academy there. Um, Sylvester Stallone and Creed. I don't know. I'm going to go with it. So there you go. I got you both. So let's see if any of us have, uh, come to fruition here on these guesses. Gentlemen, your nominees for Best Supporting Actor in 2015 were... Christian Bale, The Big Short. Tom Hardy, The Revenant. Mark Ruffalo, Spotlight. Mark Rylance, Bridge of Spies. Sylvester Stallone, Creed. Let us start off with Christian Bale as Michael Burry in The Big Short. This is his third of four nominations. Going to Oscar night, he gets a Golden Globe nomination for lead actor in a comedy musical. BAFTA puts him at supporting. He wins a Critics' Choice, but for actor in a comedy. And then he's nominated SAG for supporting and cast. So these precursors didn't know where the hell to put him, so this will be fun to talk about. Um, in The Big Short, again, Christian plays Michael, who is like this quirky guy who like gets super cut haircuts and is smarter than everybody else and has a glass eye. Did I mention his he's so quirky because he's getting like everything right while no one else is getting anything right about what's going to happen to the economy? And did I mention he's quirky? Well, I don't know. Maybe I did. Start us off. Okay. Um. So let me just start this off by saying that the Academy only likes Christian Bale in two modes. They like Twitchy Bale and they like Fat Bale. So for this, we're getting Twitchy Bale. Um. So listen, like, I wasn't a fan of The Big Short when it first came out, and so when I was going in to rewatch it, um, I guess like I don't want to say like I liked it a little bit more, especially after the abomination that was Vice. But watching The Big Short again, um. I remember the first time I watched it, and Bale didn't really leave an impact for me. Um, I just thought back then that he was basically doing a lesser version of his fighter performance, but just not executed as well. And then, and even like before we watched it, I did not even remember anything that what he did in this movie. And then when I rewatched it again, I still didn't see what he was doing other than just giving the same rehashed twitchy bail performance that at this point in his career that we kind of expect um and also just the fact that like when you think of acting in the big short i feel like that's like fifth on the agenda for what you think of the big short um like it's not just Bale. I don't think that any of the performers in this movie are particularly strong, but I also just think that the movie doesn't do them any favors because I just don't think there's really any character development or any characters. I just feel like it's just a bunch of famous people reciting mortgage, mortgage mumbo jumbo. It almost feels like a scripted version of an inconvenient truth in that sort of regard. So it's very hard for me to talk about 
Christian Bale and just anybody in this movie acting wise because I don't see where nominations would play for anybody. Like the only one I could potentially see is Margot Robbie for just her batshit crazy just bathtub like scene, which is the only bright spot in this movie for me. But otherwise, Christian Bale's I don't even want to say fine. He's just there. He's doing the same shtick. It just feels like he's phoning it in for this movie, but I just don't see, I don't know who Michael Burry is as a character other than like what Joey said, he has quirky haircuts and he's quirky and he showers while he's in his office, I guess. But otherwise I, I, yeah, I, I, I get nothing from this performance. I get absolutely nothing from this performance. So it's just there. So that that's all I have to say. <laughs> I have similar feelings. Um, I'm also not a huge fan of The Big Short. Um, when it comes to uh, Bale's performance, his character, I get this impression that it must be so hard being so much smarter than everyone else. And that's really the vibe I get off get from him, and it's the vibe I get from this movie. Uh, whenever I watch this movie, I feel like I'm being talked down to, which is really mm-hmm. funny because they're constantly bringing in how Wall Street and the financial world are talking down to people and using these big words and these complicated terms so that average people think it's confusing and just let these Wall Street real estate people just run away with everything. And I feel like the movie plays into that in the wrong way. And um, I don't feel like the movie's on my side. You know, I feel like it's looking down upon me as it's explaining all of these things. And Christian Bale uh, kind of, acts into that he has this um it's like holier than thou uh uh, energy but in an intellectual sort of way and um it doesn't rub off on me particularly well uh kind of like what justin was saying when this movie's over i'm not exactly sure who this guy is besides just being the smuggest motherfucker i've ever seen in my life (laughs) and like Joey was saying, it's like Bale and McKay really want you to know this guy's weird. He's that weird professor type who's so strange and no one really gets him. And he's so weird because he's just so much smarter than you. And it becomes a bit at a certain point that doesn't really amount to much. Um, overall, I just, this performance in this film just really leave a sour taste in my mouth. I mean, I guess I get why some people like it. They like that sort of heady uh intellectual thing but i'm not sure if this i'm not sure if this movie's actually as smart as it wants you to think it is if that makes any sense um so overall Mm -hmm. performance film not a fan yeah i would also like to say that i'm not a fan of this movie i was not a fan of this movie when it came out i was not a fan of this movie when i watched it as, as a revisit this morning um, I I kind of like consider this movie to be like Wolf of Wall Street, like light, because it's just, it just feels like a watered down version of how the men can fuck shit up even more, trying to get rich and then like fucking over other people. Um, and we have to remember too that this came off the heels of Wall Street or Wolf of Wall Street, because obviously there's a film called Wall Street, um, two years after the fact. So it just felt like almost like an afterglow type, let's do this again. And then, of course, like Adam McKay, not big fan with Vice. And I, I still think it's funny that 
Bale's got four nominations, and two of them are from the same director on each side. He only gets nominations if he's directed by McKay or David O. Russell. So, little interesting fact there. Um, Yeah, I just... I don't understand what I'm supposed to be watching here exactly. I mean, I'm a pretty smart dude, if I do say so myself. Um, But even I am watching this movie and I'm going, wait, what? Um, It's not for me. Um, Nothing. Yeah, I I agree with Justin. I think Margot Robbie's the best thing about this movie. Um, Yeah. How do you make a movie about mortgages? I mean, Hustlers did it great. Um, they use it as a subplot, but like, this is not so bueno. Um, not a fan, not a fan of the performance. It's just kind of, I don't know. Also, too, I know this is supposed to be his character, but when I'm watching Bale and all I can pay attention to is his glass eye, I'm like, <laughs> how, how are you being outshined? Or outshone or outshined, whatever the fuck the word is, by an eye. Because he's not doing anything else. He's not doing anything else just with the glass eye. I'm surprised that neither of you commented on the category placement because of where the precursors put it. But this is an ensemble piece, yo. Why Why is he being put in lead categories at the Globes and Critics' Choice? doesn't make sense to me. I mean, if anybody, I guess, is a lead in this, I would put Corell in the lead. But even that's, I'm still like, mm. um, So I think, you know, he's in the correct category at the Oscars. But this is just like, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to comment real fast on, like, his placement. Like, yeah, I think that's, it's not even a stretch. Like, that's a huge stretch to try and put him in a lead. Because, like you said, this is an ensemble movie. And I... I like, there is no hard lead. Like, there is no lead. Like, everybody here is just wheeling about for over two and a half hours, like, two hours and whatever minutes, just talking about mortgages and Wall Street. And it's, like Brandon said, it's just talking down to you a lot. And I'm just like, this movie would have been better if it was just 90 minutes. Like, 90 minutes in and out, like, cute little performances from famous people, and that's about it. But, but yeah, I don't see what the globes well the globes are going to globe no matter what but just but he won critics choice for lead actor in a comedy i mean that's also kind of like what that's just (laughs) stupid i'm sorry that's stupid like that's really stupid like and even to call this a comedy like comedy quote unquote i'm like that's i get it but i'm also like that's a stretch okay like that's a kind of a big if i don't know that this was the year that the globes rewarded the martian in comedy oh fucking christ that's right anything was happening that year remember that my god i was was interested to see who else was in the comedy category at the critics choice this year so he beat out steve carell for the big short then you had bill Hader for Trainwreck, jason statham for spy and de niro for the intern I mean, come on. I mean, Jason Staten, I don't think, was the lead actor in Spy. So, honestly, like, <laughs> could have gotten it there. Yeah, I mean, Bill Hader's right there. I mean, come on. Like, that should have been an easy slam dunk victory. But, like, again, like, like the Globes, like, the Critics' Choice is just... Sometimes I think I don't even think they know what they're doing when they place actors in certain categories. And the fact that they have, like, comedy categories and even, like, other weird obscure categories like it just it 
I don't know. Like, critics are critics, I guess. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'm fine with him in supporting. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, there's the people who say he's leading his portion of the film, but, I mean, Ugh. that's that's a argument that's been made several times. I mean, I get that argument, I guess, but it's not one that I subscribe to personally. Uh, I think he's in the correct category here at the Oscars in supporting. He's not mm. really leading the entire film, just his little side thing. Mm-hmm. Agree. All right, let's get to this year's winner, Mark Rylance as Rudolph Abel in Bridge of Spies. This is his sole nomination thus far. Um, going into Oscar night, it was kind of a mixed bag with him. Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, and SAG all nominate him in supporting. Uh, he wins, oh, and I'm sorry, the LA Film Critics as well. He wins, though, in supporting BAFTA, National Society of Film Critics, and New York Film Critics Circle. I'm sorry. Yes, New York Film Critics Circle. I can't even read my own typing. I know that doesn't make any sense. Just shut up. Um, in Bridge of Spies, again, Mark plays Rudolph, who is a suspected KGB spy during the Cold War era of the world, who is then kidnapped, disappears for like a solid hour in this movie, pops up at the end to switch places with an American who's been kidnapped, and I I don't know what else he does. Um, I know that Minnie Driver was a fan. She tweeted at me when this came out that she voted for him because we were in a conversation, so there's that. But I'm interested to hear what Brandon thinks about Mark Rylance here. So I know this um, nomination and win is a bit of a conundrum with a lot of people. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Mark Rylance as a performer is pretty selfless in his performances. Um, this is a supporting turn that doesn't really like draw much attention to itself. It's very technically precise, uh, very specific in its execution and like his uh, physical performance and, you know, his vocal performance. Uh, you can kind of tell that he's a very seasoned uh, theater performer. Uh, it's very, you know, rehearsed, but not in a sort of mechanical way. And, um, I kind of dig that he's pretty low-key. Uh, I don't know that he really has, you know, one of those quote-unquote moments. It's just a performance that um, continues throughout. And um, I kept finding myself watching him, uh, trying to find all the little things he was doing, all the little details, uh, things that I'm sure he does on stage as well uh, that aren't quite as easy to see. But when you have someone like Spielberg uh, framing this film, um, can really play into uh, the things that make Rylance a very um, technical actor. So um, I can see why people are, uh, why people get confused uh, by this win, um, considering it's not quite as uh, loud or quite as showy as others. But um, it's also worth noting that Rylance uh, has been in the acting world for decades. He's a super well-respected actor in the theater world uh, in New York and London. So I wouldn't be surprised if um, there was a lot of, uh, he had a lot of backing with, you know, the theater actors in the Academy, you know. Um, I'm sure he had his following in that regard. All right. I I really love this performance. I, I really do. Like, I think this is one of those definitions of what a great, subtle acting role is um i just feel like this character that mark rylance uh, inhabits like i feel like i know who rudolph abel is like i he's a character that has lived a life and feels lived in and mark rylance is just able to fully exhibit it and 
again, like like what Brandon was saying, like he doesn't try and like grab your attention and isn't trying to play to the back of the room. It's very much an insular performance, but there's just there's something so magnetic about his character and how he portrays it. Like, for instance, just like the subtle acting work, like there's a lot of thought put into it where this is a character who grew up in Russia and then immigrated over to the US. And while he still has that hint of a Russian accent, it's something that he has slowly, slowly been chipped away the longer he has lived in America. And now like, it's just kind of like a reminiscent of where he came from. Cause, and also like, again, like sometimes when people do Russian accents, they go way to like Borscht, Borscht and Natasha, like, twirl like villainy like just it's very over the top and this is just it's so subtle and it's it almost it reminds me so many ways of like my grandma who she she and my grandpa they were from the soviet union and they immigrated from the soviet union and i remember like she had that exact same accent where i could tell that she did not grow up in america and she still said certain words and how she pronounced certain vowels that were very much rooted in that culture um and I will say that like, I think that Rylance has his moments, specifically with the scene where he is telling Tom Hanks' character about when the border guards broke into his home. And just the way that he delivers it in not like a monotone way, but a very controlled manner and speaking. But you can see the pain and the emotional just scarring that that had on him and how he just keeps bringing up more and more details of it and telling Tom Hanks's character like what happened in that moment I think it's a very powerful moment and it but again it's not like a you know a grab you like I'm going for the Oscar moment it's so like carefully restrained and you get enough like glimpses into his character and you almost begin to understand like not only like why he would you why he would still be sp spying for the KGB, but also shows that there is a much more meta textual and a lot more nuance and a lot of layers to this character. And especially like by the time you get to the big climax scene, which Joey like brought that up, but like I didn't realize like upon rewatching that he does disappear for a really large chunk of the movie. And I don't want to say the movie suffers from him not being in it, but there were moments where I'm like, wait, isn't Mark Rylance going to like pop up again? Or are we just going to wait until the big bridge scene and then bridge scene comes? And like even that scene and the way it's directed and the way it's shot, it's so tense and it's so well done. And like Mark Rylance just is able to fully carry it confidently. So yeah, I, I love this performance. I think it's amazing. I was very pleasantly surprised when he won that night. I was like, because I was not expecting him to win because the Academy doesn't like subtle. They rarely go for subtle. They even rarely nominate, barely even like give wins for it. So I was very happy to see Mark Rylance win this award and just kind of like cement all the long theater work and the long career that he has had. So I'm, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan of it. I love this performance so much. All right, so, yeah, I don't know what the hell is going on with Rylance here. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I'm pretty well-versed with actors and from generations before and, you know, whatnot in all realms of acting. 
I had never heard of Mark Rylance until Bridge of Spies had come out. I was like, who the fuck is this dude? And then it was weird because I remember about four years ago, I, I read Amy Schumer's The Girl with the Lower Back Tattoo book. And she was like, my one of my favorite actors since the 90s is Mark Rylance. And I'm like, how the fuck does she know who he is? You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, who is this guy? So for him to win this, I was like completely like, okay, very odd. Um, regarding the movie, not a fan of the movie, really not a fan of the performance. I get that there's subtlety, but there is also subtlety of doing something. And this is doing nothing. This is my Marina de Tavira of the men category for this, for this decade. Um, at least he's got the screen time for it, I think, compared to her in my mind. But he's not doing anything. I mean, when we, when we meet him, he's walking to the park. Okay. Then he... Cuts into the nickel, comes out of the bathroom, scrubs paint, is on trial, is asked why he's not afraid. Is it going to help me? No. Okay. Then disappears for a long time, awakens in the jail cell. Aren't you afraid to go home? Why would it help? That's his whole role. And that's the same monotone that he keeps out this entire thing. He's not doing anything. This is truly the most baffling win to me of this decade um, when it comes to the men, it doesn't make any sense because there's nothing there to nominate and there is nothing there to win over. Um, I don't get what the critics saw. I don't get what the Academy saw. I mean, I must have a rough cut of the movie that I've seen because there's something missing here completely from his performance. I'm not a fan. I don't like it. Well, shit then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and scene um i'll just like say real fast like i do understand your criticism because this is very much like like you said like it is such a subtle performance and i think like even for just like mass audiences who watch it they probably watch this performance and they're like okay it's good and then when people find out he won an award for it they're like wait he won an oscar for it like like what like i'm not seeing it which I understand the criticism, and I definitely know, like, a bunch of people who also feel the same way, where they just are like, okay, like, he does, like, a subtle Russian accent, but what else does he do? But I really think that it's one of those performances, because I especially noticed on the rewatch just how many different layers that he has for his character, and even just, like, the opening scene where he's going about his day. Like, again, it just feels like a character who has lived a life and I think that Rylance is able to inhibit that and I think that it's a very rare talent that actor that actors can be able to do that um but I do understand the criticism like I do get it but I do think that it's a performance that the more times you watch the the more you're able to to peel apart the character and just see like what ticks beneath the surface I don't know. I just look at this lineup, even with Bale, there are five actors in this lineup and four of them are at least doing something. And then there's Riot Lance. I just don't, I can't fathom this one at all. See, I think he's doing so much that it looks like he's not doing anything. I don't even get what that means. (laughs) Well, he's doing some really precise, uh, nuanced work here. And it's so natural that it looks like he's not doing anything. It's, uh, this is a performance that I think appeals to people who are really into the craft of acting, you know, who are really committed to the work. 
So I can see why um, a lot of folks uh, in the acting world would rally behind a performance like this, you know? Mm. And yeah. I think Rylance is just a very well-liked person within um, both the film and theater world. So mm. I could see people voting for him because of that as well. All right, let us get to Sylvester Stallone making a big old comeback this year at the Oscars for playing Rocky Balboa in Creed. This is his third of three nominations, but his second acting nomination. Um, going into Oscar night, he was the projected winner for a lot of people, um, winning at the Globes, winning Critics' Choice, and winning National Board of Review. Um, in Creed, again, Sylvester resurrects his iconic character of Rocky Balboa, um, playing the character this time as a retired man who's trying to live his life, who gets suckered into at first, but then completely revolutionizes revolution. Wow. Speaking today, completely revitalizes who he is as a person, as a fighter through training uh, Apollo Creed's son. Um, before we get started, we have a quick clip from one of our listeners, Andrew Carden. Uh, let's hear what he has to say first, and then we'll dive right in. Hey guys. So I absolutely love Sylvester Stallone and Creed. It might be my favorite Best Supporting Actor nomination of the entire decade. And for me, is is really up there with, with some of the great Best Supporting Actor nominees of all time, which as someone who has seen <laughs> the vast majority of Stallone films, um, it's not something that I thought I would have said prior to seeing Creed, because a lot of his work, especially in, in the 80s and the 90s, was a little on the lackluster side. But he's absolutely brilliant in Creed. And, you know, I think it's it's largely about the direction for Ryan Coogler, who, you know, did a magnificent job directing the film and certainly an integral part of Creed is the rapport that he has with Michael B. Jordan, who, of course, should have been nominated, perhaps even should have won Best Actor that year. But that isn't to say that, you know, Stallone's performance only succeeds because it's a well-directed one and because of the chemistry that he has with Michael B. Jordan. It's clear that Stallone put in so much effort with his performance and was so focused and determined to really hit a grand slam on this. I think it's a really riveting turn. I think it's very inspiring. And, you know, it's ultimately kind of a devastating and heartbreaking one. I think that the sight of him revisiting the, the Museum of Art and going up those, those steps at the end and, you know, saying that, you know, they added a few steps and then that final line about how, you know, if you look hard enough, you can see your whole life from up here. I think it's so beautifully staged. And I think that Stallone's delivery in that scene just couldn't be better. And there's really heartrending moments with Stallone throughout the film. Uh, I think back to the scene in which Rocky uh, finds out about his diagnosis, uh, that he has lymphoma, and, you know, he saw what happened with Adrian, and he says, you know, his wife tried chemotherapy, and 
the the scene is so beautifully played so such a nuanced and subtle delivery he never overdoes it here you know he hits all of the right notes and while so much of his performance is really in my opinion quite heartbreaking um there's a lot of humor in his performance as well and he really has a, a terrific comic touch i love the the scene in which um They've uh, taken photos, I think, with a cell phone, and uh, Adonis um, mentions to uh, Rocky that it's going to be up in the cloud, and he hasn't a clue what the cloud is, so he looks up. I thought that was just a, a brilliant touch, and you know there are light moments throughout, and I think that overall the, the performance shows such range in Stallone that we rarely got to see over the years. And I, I wish that he did more performances like this. I thought he was really great, too, in uh, Creed to the sequel, um, which perhaps didn't utilize him as well as this one did, but still, you know, gave us a sense of, you know, all of the potential that is in Stallone as an actor, if only he would choose the right scripts. Uh, I think this is a marvelous performance. I was absolutely devastated when he lost to, to Mar Mark Rylance, of all people, whose performance I, I still really can't wrap my head around. Um, but yeah, and I'm intrigued to see what you guys think about his category placement, because I, I personally think he's in the right category in supporting, but the screen time is perhaps there for an argument that he should be alongside Jordan up in lead. So I can't wait to hear what you guys think but I absolutely love Sylvester Stallone and Creed. All right, uh, Justin, let's talk. All right. Um, okay, um, all right, so let me, just, let me just start by saying this first. So I will say that Stallone does solid work here. I believe he has his moments, and I think that there is added nuance to the character, and I think that he does really great work and I think that he is very solid in the movie and I think that Creed is a really amazing movie as well with the, all right with that said okay let me just say this first okay so this is Stallone's seventh time playing Rocky Balboa at this point he knows this character almost as well as he knows him and not only that, but he's also, Stallone's in that rare field of actors who have been nominated twice for the same performance. So he's in there with Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth I, Al Pacino for Michael Corleone, Paul Newman for Eddie, Eddie Felsen from the Hustler series, um, and there's a couple others I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's in that rare field. So here's my thing. If you're going to be nominated again for an Oscar, we're playing the same role. And especially when this is your seventh time doing your character, I guess I just expect a lot more. I just feel like that there is just a level that you have to exceed in order to justify not just the nomination, but just the fact that, like, like you said, like he was the front runner. For the, for the entire season until Mark Rylance spoiled it for him. And I remember when I first watched Creed, like, I liked the performance, but was it good enough for an Oscar win? I 
that's where I struggle with because again, like even though he's good and he's good in Creed, and I think that Ryan Coogler and the script give him moments where we see more of Rocky's like emotional side, especially when he's when he's at the graveyard, he's visiting Adrian's grave, when he's at the doctor's office, and he's getting the diagnosis, the same one that killed Adrian. I think that there is good work there, and I think that it adds a little bit more. But at the same time, I remember after I watched the movie, like, back in 2015, I was like, okay, but I feel like I just have seen a lot of this before from the other Rocky movies. Like, and I don't, and as a front runner, I just don't get why, of all the people thirsting for an Oscar and who were overdue, because that was also a part of his narrative, that he was overdue. And no tea, no shade, but I don't think Stallone is hurting for an Oscar. I'm just going to say that. But I don't know. Like, I just, I think it's a good performance. Don't get me wrong. But I just expect a lot more. And I expect that there should just be a whole new dimension given to this character and a whole new perspective, especially when this is like a multiple time go around role. And and it, and also like he kind of shares that with the same field of actors he who got double nominees for their for their performances. Of all of them, they also suffer the same problem. Like Kate Blanchett and Elizabeth, like she's good in Golden Age. We saw it before in Elizabeth I. For Paul Newman in uh, his Eddie character, he did it better in Hustler and in, in the Hustler. And Color of Money is just kind of a rehash of what he did in the first movie. And the only one out of that field is Al Pacino, who actually took Michael Corleone and actually made him into the character that we know of in part two. And so that's like one of the only times that I actually not only condone a second nomination, but actually he should have won for it. So with all that said, and I will say this, upon rewatching Creed and the fact that Stallone didn't win the Oscar, I could appreciate the performance a lot more now. And I could see more of the things that would have justified him winning the Oscar if he had won it. But at the same time, it is a performance that if he had won for, I would just struggle with trying to see what's the new take here. Like, what of Rocky Balboa have we not seen before? So, so yeah, that's, that's my take on Stallone. Again, he's very solid. Is he, I think he's solid. He's solid enough for a nomination. But to be the front runner and to win, that's where I struggle with the most for this for this performance. I'm somewhere in between Justin and Andrew. Um, I have a lot of similar feelings uh, regarding, you know, his, um, his path to the Oscar. This is a character he's uh, been living with for 40 years or so at this point. It feels very lived in, um, kind of like Rylance felt lived in, but this is a little bit different because he has literally been living with this character for 40 years. Uh, Stallone mm-hmm. knows this guy inside now. I mean, he wrote the script of the mm-hmm. first one. Stallone, at this point in his career, and even today, is synonymous with Rocky. So, I mean, this is, you know, his property. And um, the Rocky films are still popular to this day, Seems like they're marathoned on TV every fucking 4th of July or any sort of American <laughs> holiday. People have grown up with this character. There are people who are, you know, who are still alive who remember when the first one was out. And this 
this franchise, this character mean a lot to a lot of people. So if Stallone had won on Oscar night, it would have made sense to me in that regard. I think he had a lot of nostalgia playing mm-hmm. in in his favor. Um, also, he was, you know, the, the recognizable name who had never won before. He had been nominated way back in the 70s for both acting and writing this, uh, the, the original one, and uh, didn't win there. And this could have been, you know, the moment to reward him with an Oscar that could not only, you know, be a, um, a reward for this performance, but also a, for the culmination of his career. But uh, like Justin was saying, I don't know if Stallone's an actor that really needs an Oscar. Um, Andrew uh, Carden in his clip mentioned um, most of Stallone's work have pretty much been duds. He mm-hmm. has He's done a lot of action thriller movies over the last few decades, which, you know, have their merit on their own, you know, in their own way. They have their audience. They have their um, their good qualities. But I'm not sure if that's actually, you know, the Academy's cup of tea. Uh, is this, you know, an an actor who needs an Oscar in the way that, you know, more quote-unquote dedicated performers do? But that being said, I think he does bring a lot of heart to this character in this um, rendition. Um, there is some more subtlety in this Rocky Balboa than we have gotten in previous installments in this um, hero's journey. And um, he brings a lot of sorrow to this. Uh, It makes me wonder what else Stallone could have done if um, Hollywood had given him a different path. If instead of those action thriller films from the 80s and 90s, if he had gone a little bit more, I don't know, of a prestige route or whatever you want to call it. Um, I could say, I think he's capable of it based on what we've, what we see in Stallone or what we see in Creed. I think Stallone could have done some really interesting work leading up to this performance. Um, perhaps there's a lot of personal um, gravity here uh, considering, you know, Rocky is his baby. Um, but um, I really wonder what, if that could have translated into other performances instead over the years, you know, in a parallel universe. But um, yeah, I see uh, the merits of this performance. I see why it could have won uh, realistically. And I don't know if I would have been mad if he would have won. Uh, It would have made sense. Um, So there's some pluses and minuses uh, with this one for me. Man, I love this performance. Um, I loved and love Creed. I, I saw it when I first saw it. I was like, holy shit. Like, this is a whole new light into this story and these characters. And, you know, 2015 was just a great year for, like, you know, SpongeBob Boys, I'm a man style movies. Like, <laughs> this, Straight Out of Compton, Mad Max. I mean, those three were, like, definitely top four for me that year um, as films. And, you know, I hear I hear what Justin's saying, and I think it's kind of interesting because we have to realize he's doing so much more than we've ever seen him do with Rocky Balboa here. So I found that that take from you, Justin, a little, a, a little curious, to be honest, because you have to think about the last six times we've seen him up until this, even the first time we met him. But Rocky Balboa as a character, the first one, is just a guy with a dream. And mm-hmm. then here, here he is. 
in two, three, four, five, even six, Rocky becomes a parody of himself. Like you can't even take him seriously because Stallone is so over the top with him. Because not only was Stallone at that time, but the character of Rocky, and then Rocky in those movies are, become an icon. I mean, in the second movie, I, if memory serves me right, he literally, like, loses all of his money and, and instantly is like, woe is me because he's so over the top. You know what I mean? And then – so when we see him for a seventh time, we get Rocky Balboa even stripped, I think, more raw than when we first met him because he's he's you or me. He's He's still got to hold on to that American dream, but he's happy because – he's already achieved it. And I think it's, it's such a realistic and beautiful take on this rugged character who, and not to quote Shrek, but is like really like an onion with so many layers. And we finally get to see Balboa for the first time as average Joe. And we've never seen Balboa like that. And so I think what he's doing here goes beyond what Blanchett or B- Bing Crosby was another person who got nominated mm, twice. That's right, okay. Human or, you know, whoever, because all their characters stayed the same. This is the first time we're getting a double nominee from someone where his character was completely different from any time we've seen him. So I, I, like, I was hearing you and I was like, wow, that's so interesting that you didn't get on to that because I'm like, I, I was blown away by this. I mean, there's a moment in this movie where you think he's gonna die because he's got that um, the 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 thing with his heart going on, and you're like, oh my god, are we about to witness this American icon at his final moments? I mean, it's it churns your stomach as a viewer, especially like if you've grown up with what with him. Whether you grew up with him in the 70s, 80s, 90s, or 2000s, you're like, am I about to watch Rocky fucking Balboa croak? It's terrifying. And it really kind of gets you. You have to also remember, too, Stallone was and is the king of Razzies. So while I agree, like, does he need an Oscar? No. But he needed this nomination, at least, and these wins and this narrative of possible winner to be remembered and taken seriously as an actor again. Now, granted, he still doesn't make great films post this because he's back to, like, you know, Rambo 9 and all that shit. But it's like, you could take a moment and be like, yeah, that's that's why we love him. You know what I mean? I get so much from this one. I love this nomination. I loved these wins. I was heartbroken on Oscar night when they fucking called Mark Rylance over him. I I scratched my head at this one and, and uh, for this, you know, this year. But I think this is brilliant. I love this so much. Yeah, to like comment on like your... Um the question, like, he posed and, like, how, like, I didn't get, like, any new shades from him. Um, I guess it's just because, maybe it just comes from a familiarity because I'll just say this. So, like, I have seen all the Rocky movies probably to death because my dad was a huge Rocky person. And so, it, and, like, Brandon was saying, like, they play on, like, the 4th of July. But, like, it wasn't uncommon for me to walk in and, like, Rocky 3 or Rocky or Rocky 4 would be playing. And... I guess just because, like, I just know the character so much. And even though the Rocky Balboa, like, the one before this, Rocky Balboa, I know that movie is very flawed and it's nowhere near as good as Creed, but it did kind of touch on a lot of the things that Creed was doing about an aging Balboa and how he doesn't 
fit anymore in the modern world and how his son has grown up and like and how he has lost his wife like i i feel like i've just seen i saw some of that in rocky balboa not not done as well in creed i will say that but i guess like I guess it's just like my threshold for what I expected for Rocky Balboa. I just, maybe I was just setting way too high of a standard for this character because like he has, we have seen him so many times and maybe I was just expecting this whole new revolutionary performance from Stallone. And then when I watched it, I just remember thinking, okay, it was good. I do think that he brings new stuff to the table, but I guess just personally, like, I just, I wanted more. I guess, like, I wanted more. And I, and to kind of go off of, like, what you said, like, I almost would not have been mad if this was the movie where Balboa died and that we could have seen him grapple with this morality, and maybe that would have been the final touch that would have made the performance click for me, but... But yeah, I guess, yeah, I just, I just, that's like, because maybe I just set like way too high of a standard for what I expected from this character and because it just didn't meet it. And even after rewatching it, it still didn't meet that. Um, but I do, I do want to point out that, yes, I can agree that he is doing a lot more work in this movie than in almost all the Rocky movies since the original, but I just want more. I want more. I expect better. You know, I want better from everybody. Okay. Well, fuck his drag. <laughs> Listen, I, I still think this is Stallone's best performance in years. And like, like you said, like after this, he goes back to making Rambo nine and expendables five or however many they're on with that trash franchise or whatever. But yeah. And like, and also to like what Brandon said, like it would have been interesting to see like what would have happened to Stallone's career if Hollywood had given him an avenue to go away from the action star, which listen, don't get me wrong, I love me a good bad Stallone action movie. And I will just say this if there was any Balboa performance he should have won an Oscar for, it should have been Rocky Four, which is the best one of the entire series. Okay. It is the it is so trashy, over the top, patriotic like crazy of like us versus russia cold war paranoia and it's just and also all the homoeroticism running around in that movie like if any performance he should have won that should have been it for rocky four okay that all right i'm done i'm done i'm done just watch his porno if you want to see a salone fuck yeah i mean it's whatever it's it's barely it's barely above softcore it's barely above that <laughs> brandon um, yeah, I think we summed up pretty much my feelings. I mean, it's a it's a familiar dish with new seasoning mm. is kind of what his performance in Creed is. So mm. I dig it. Uh, it's nothing you know new or groundbreaking, but he did something um, unique with it that we hadn't quite seen before. So right. I think it has um, there's some valid stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Well, I will move on. To Tom Hardy as John Fitzgerald in The Revenant. This is his sole nomination thus far. He's got one of these nominations that I love because he had nothing going into it except for a Critics' Choice nomination for supporting. Love those rando to almost no precursor nominations. Um, In The Revenant, again, Tom plays John Fitzgerald, who is just a gentleman who's having a bad fucking life. Um, Very cranky. All about the money. The 
ideal example of a colonizer to the fucking max. Um, very angry, horrible person, kills people, tries to, well, he does steal. He just tries to get away and live his best life in Texas. Um, Brandon, what do you think? So Tom Hardy seems to be having a blast with this movie. Um, this seems to be a character that he has really, um, he really sank his teeth into. Uh, it seems like he is chewing away for the entire movie. Every moment he's on screen, he is really making the most of it. And for the most part, I think that works pretty well. Tom Hardy reminds me of some of you know the best villains in Western uh, Western films. Uh, I think he's really fun here. Um, the Revenant's a movie that I didn't really care for the first time. It played better for me on the rewatch for some reason. I'm not sure. Maybe I just wasn't in the right mood the first time. But um, Tom Hardy uh, on the most recent watch, I was you know I was along for the ride with him. Um, it made me kind of just want to follow this character uh, going around the country, just doing awful things to people. I don't know what that says about me, but I was, you know, I was into it. Um, <laughs> his, he has a very uh, unique way of speaking in this movie. I'm kind of obsessed with his his voice, his accent, and the way he inflects um, throughout. And um, I don't know, there's something just really, really dirty about him in so many different ways. And uh, I don't know, I'm just really fascinated by it. I don't know. Uh, Justin, how do you feel? Oh, my God. Okay, so with, with Tom Hardy. Okay, so you guys have talked about it before, how Viola Davis has in her acting tool bag the snot. Well, if she has the snot, Tom Hardy loves his accents. He loves his accents. And the more unintelligible he is, the better he thinks he is. Like, it's gone to a point in his career where the accents are just too much. And especially after that dreadful Capone movie, I'm just over the accents. And like in this movie, I don't understand a single word he's saying. Like, I don't, I had to put on the subtitles just to understand like what the fuck he's even saying in this movie. And it just really distracts me from the performance. Um, I don't know. Like, it's, it's fine. Like, I think he's okay in the movie. But, again, like, I kind of just struggle with seeing who John Fitzgerald is. Like, yes, he's a, he's a piece of shit, and he kills, and he's a colonizer through and through. Like, I get it, but, but also, like, I could barely understand a fucking word he's saying, so it makes it very hard for me to connect with him as a character. I just, I don't know. I, I just, I think Tom Hardy is a very great actor. Don't get me wrong. I think he's really good when he doesn't try and bog himself down with these accents. Cause like, it's just like with this and the drop and like that terrible Bane and Dark Knight and then the legend movie Wait. and then what? Did you just say the terrible Bane? That accent is terrible. That performance is so so bad. That performance is so horrendous. Like, I hate that performance. I hate it. I hate the voice. I hate whatever he's doing in that movie. It's not good. I just, to me, Tom Hardy just comes off as, like, he's trying to do Marlon Brando without putting in the actual Marlon Brando work and just throw on the accent work, and it just has, it re I want to say, like, by the time I reached The Revenant, it was becoming tiresome. I think that 
that got to Capone. That's when it just became really just everyone got over it. But with The Revenant, like, again, it's just, I, I know I keep harping on the accent. I know. But it's just, I don't know what the accent adds to the character. I, I don't see the angle. I don't understand why he wanted to make that choice. And other than that, all right, let me just actually get to his performance. So, again, I think he's fine. I think he's okay. I think he does the villain part fine. Um, like Brandon said, well, I'll get to it later, but like, I don't know. Like, I just was not, I wasn't impressed. And I think he's, I think he has some moments, I guess, like when he's just being downright despicably evil. And like Brandon said, it seems like he has not taken a shower since he was five years old. So, I do get the skeeviness. I do get the scuzziness. And I think that he does inhabit a bad classic villain, I guess, well, for what the role is asking for. But I, I, I wasn't impressed. I was not impressed. And just, he needs, to, he needs to stop with the accents. He needs to be stopped. And someone needs to citizen arrest him and tell him no more fucking accents. Like, just use your regular voice so we can actually understand you. Wow, Justin said no to our bisexual brother in there. Okay. Nope, nope, nope. Hard no. Hard pass. Hard oh, pass. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I also did not get a whole lot out of The Revenant the first time I saw it. And I really didn't get a whole lot out of it the second time that I saw it for the revisit for this. Um, because I obviously watched it again. But Tom Hardy is delicious in this movie, in the evilness of this character. He is delicious in this movie, look-wise in general. Like, I love me a rugged lumberjack type of man. This is a character who I just want to be like, sir, choke me, spank me, pull my hair. Because I am trying to eat all of this up and sop it up with a biscuit at the end. Um, he is so ruthless, so evil, plays it so well. His accent work is so good in this. It is, it is so mysterious because you don't know where he's from that it makes you wonder who exactly it is. And I think it adds such a mysterious layer to this character I eat this up through and through and is honestly, he's the best thing about this movie. Um, I like this tenfold. This is delicious. I dig it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what exactly it is about this performance, but I find myself just into it. I can't really, I don't know why. There's just something about it. Yes. I think I'm just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just gravitating toward this performance for some unknown reason that I can't quite identify. Well, good for both of you. I'm glad you guys got something out of this performance. <laughs> God, like, I'm sorry, but, like, listen, if he tried to, like, put the moves on me, I'd be like, all right, no, go take a shower first, because I can smell you from, like, here. Like, Jesus. Mm, nope, give me that mustiness. I want it. Mm-mm-mm, mm-mm. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No, thank you. No, thank you. Anybody else? Mm, no, just 
Tom Hardy needs to put away the accents for like just two movies. Two movies of no accents. That's all I ask for. That's all. All right. Well, moving on. Let's finish out this category strong and get to a couple of questions that we have about the category as a whole. Uh, Mark Ruffalo as Mike Mike Resendez in Spotlight. This is his third of three nominations going into Oscar night. BAFTA supporting actor, Critics' Choice supporting actor, SAG win for cast. So he was really up in the air on if he was actually getting it or not. Um, Same thing happened, obviously, with Rachel McAdams in Spotlight. Um, So, yeah, again, Mark plays Mike in Spotlight, who is the the lead detective reporter on this rape case is throughout the Catholic Church, leads – the charge in the spotlight area of the Boston Globe newspaper and will really stop at nothing to get the story out. So um, who's turn to start? <laughs> Just. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So I really love spotlight. Um, I, it was a very nice treat at the end of the night when it won best picture. And I think that Mark Ruffalo's character, he embodies the spirit of spotlight. He it's, he has a quiet tenacity to his Mike Resendez character. Like he's very determined. Um, he wants to uncover the truth. And I think that he has this quiet drive uh, amongst all the characters and especially him because Spotlight is a movie that doesn't, it does, you know, pull homage from like the journalist movies of the past, like all the president's men, like very obviously where there isn't like big giant, like, you know, gotcha moments. It very much feels like you are coming along these reporters and uncovering the truth with them. And I think that Ruffalo's character is the perfect entryway for us. Cause I think he, yeah, this is an ensemble perform uh, ensemble piece. And I, but I think he is like the closest to the audience surrogates and how we are supposed to feel navigating throughout the entire movie and uncovering the truth of just how deep the Catholic church like covered up all these molestation cases. Um, I will say this. So me and my friend Toby have gotten into this argument before. So obviously it's a very uh, subtle, for the most part, it's a pretty subtle performance until you get to the end and you get to like the big, well, Oscar moment for Ruffalo's character, the they knew part. And so my friend Toby, he thinks that this scene kind of breaks the character a little bit because it is so, it's so overt and just so loud for a character that for the entire movie has been relatively, not not quiet, but been very subdued, but very like, you know, but still strong, but not like in like an Oscar just, they like you know shouting at the audience sort of thing and then when this scene happens it does it feels like it's almost from a different movie and i will say like the first time i watched it i didn't get it like i personally think that this is just like the big cathartic moment in the movie because until that point like spotlight doesn't give us that cathartic moment in throughout the proceedings where we can actually just voice our frustrations and the anger and the fact that the Catholic church has been doing this for so long that I feel like that is like the moment where Ruffalo's character is able to let the audience actually let out their frustrations. I will say upon rewatching it five years later for this, it does kind of feel a little bit too much for just the overall mood of the movie. I don't want to say it breaks it, um, and I do understand 
why that moment and why like Ruffalo went more over in his acting and probably why uh, the director also wanted him to go more over. I get it. It is, it's just a little nitpick, but otherwise I think that Ruffalo is really amazing in the movie. And I think that like, I know you guys talked about Rachel McAdams, like, and wondering why she got a nomination. I think that she's also really good. I think the whole cast as a whole is amazing. I'm really sad that Michael Keaton was not able to break in. I think he does just as well of a, of a performance in this movie. Um, I just think that it's a Ruffalo's performance is like the centerpiece that you're able to go into the movie and navigate with. And I think he's a glue that holds the entire team and the proceedings together. And I think he does it very well. But yeah, um, I think otherwise, I think he's really good. The climax scene where his big emotional moment, maybe too on the nose Oscar-y, but that, it's just a nitpick. It's just a very small nitpick and it doesn't break the movie for me. And yeah, I think that it's an amazing performance and I'm curious to get your guys' take on that big blow up moment that he has. So, but yeah, Ruffalo is amazing. I, I love him. Yeah, I'm quite fond of him in Spotlight as well. Um, you could say this character is the heart of the film. I think so much of this movie's execution tries to maintain a certain journalistic objectivity in a sense. Um, it try, you know, it doesn't go for those big dramatic moments too often until you know toward the end uh, after we have more information about you know this. Um, Catholic Church case here, and um, you can kind of tell that Mark Ruffalo's character is someone who went into journalism um, sort of idealistically uh, to, you know, keep the big guy accountable, the politicians, uh, big business, uh, you know, in this case, uh, the church, to, um, you know, expose corruption and all that. He's um, he's someone with a what some would call a bleeding heart, and uh I think it shines in his performance even before that big, you know, quote unquote Oscar moment. Um, you can kind of tell he's the one who, you know, is going to have that moment, I think. And when it gets to that point, um, it doesn't really take me out of it. Well, maybe in a sense, because, you know, I'm always thinking about these things, you know, you can recognize, oh, that's the clip right there. Mm -hmm. But given everything that we know up until then, uh, everything we know about his character and everything that they've uncovered up until then, it feels warranted. Um, it feels as though all the homework was done um, up until that point. It kind of, yet in a weird way, this is a strange connection. It reminds me of uh, Jessica Lange's climactic moments at the end of Country. You know what I'm talking about? Where she, they're mm. like, where they come to like kick her family off the farm, and she's like, "You're never gonna kick us off this land." Or it's a completely <laughs> different scenario, and yet it has that same kind of energy for me. I don't know what that means, but uh, that was just where my mind went. But um, yeah, I think Ruffalo is pretty good here. Uh, you can tell this—he's an actor who really relishes playing characters like this, because you know Ruffalo in real life uh, is also very political, uh, very um outspoken and um i think a lot of himself was coming through in this performance so um i i dig it so i like this but i find this 
to be very distracting, um, like Bale with the glass eye. Ruffalo's got some character traits here that kind of are so distracting from what he's actually doing. Number one, it seems like he constantly has dip in his lip. And, like, his lip does this weird folding thing to push his accent through for this. And then he do- he's he got, like, I know this is, I'm nitpicking, but as a performer, I notice very weird character, like, kinks almost. Mm. His lip is constantly, like I said, it looks like it's constantly full with, with, with dip. His, the way his haircut is, it's so distracting for his hairline that you just stare at it the entire time. And he does this weird, like, bug eye thing throughout the entire performance. I actually used in our collage for this that was released for the Ask AQ, I actually used a picture that showed all three perfectly. Um, go look at it if you don't remember. <laughs> It's quite fascinating. So it, it's a little distracting. I understand the character and who he's trying to be, but it, it, it is almost like, is is his character Ticks doing all the acting or is it Ruffalo? Um, now, to go off of Justin, I don't think it what that big blow-up moment is really out of character because this character, if you notice, that the entire thing just twitches the entire time. Like, he's on 100 milligrams of Adderall 24-7, and he's just he's a kettle just ready, ready to blow over. So I don't really think that it's out of character. I think it would have been out of character for him not to have that moment because you can tell he's just a ticking bomb at any time throughout this entire thing. So I think that's very in character of him. I don't hate this by any means, but I am a little confused, like I said, if his character ticks are doing the acting or if it's actually Ruffalo himself. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like, I'll just, like, just a real comment real fast. Like, like again, like, I do think, like, the big blow-up moment does make sense. And, like, I, I will say, like, again, like, on my rewatch, it did sort of take me out a little bit because, again, like, the movie does have this very even keel approach to its source material and never goes for the obvious just like Oscar-y moments. And that's the only scene in the movie where it is an Oscar-y moment. But again, I still understand, like like you said, like it makes sense for the character because like he is a ticking time bomb and especially the more he uncovers. And while it isn't stated explicitly in the movie, you get a sense that he was at one point very involved with the church and that he was at one point a choir boy and that maybe this hit very close to home and that he could have been one of those victims had circumstances played out differently. Um, and yeah, I, I think that there's, it's another one of those performances that you watch it again and you can see a lot more nuances and be able to truly understand the, the character and the performance more. Um, but um, but yeah, but it's again, it this that scene doesn't break. It's only a little distracting, like seeing it now, like five years removed. But it does, for the most part, make sense, and I won't hold it against him because he still does very excellent work in the movie. Yeah, and I'll agree that this is another character who has his ticks, like uh, the Bale performance. But I think I'm a little more forgiving of this one because not only do they feel a little bit more natural to me, but Ruffalo has uh, co-stars to play off of. Mm-hmm. If you think about Bale, most of his scenes, he's either talking into a phone, he's talking to himself, or he's talking to his computer screen. Like, it's mostly just Bale. 
And um, I think because he didn't really have anyone to play off of, he just went deeper and deeper into his quirkiness. With Ruffalo, he's actually, you know, with his ensemble. And um, he's able to make it a little bit more conversational, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of the ensemble, Andrew Carden wants to know, beyond Ruffalo, would you have nominated any of the other Spotlight fellas? Um, I would say yes. The only one out of the group I would have nominated would have been Stanley Tucci. Mm, I think. Yes. Uh, so he's the only one outside of Ruffalo when it comes to the guys that I would put forward. How about you guys? Um, I, so I mentioned it earlier, but I think Michael Keaton also does exceptional work in here as well. And I'm almost a little surprised that because like this is only one year removed from Birdman when he almost won. And you would think that he would have had that halo effect of like, oh, we nominated him last year. He's in another Oscar play movie. We should nominate him again. And I'm just I'm a little surprised that they actually did not go for that. And they chose Ruffalo as the quote like main person in the male cast that they're going to push for the Oscar. Um, I also think that Liev Schreiber, for as small of a role he has in the movie, I think he does very exceptional work. And the scenes that he is in, I think he just, I think he's pretty spectacular. And, you know, it's it's very nice to see Liev Schreiber doing good work and not stuck in the purgatory that is Ray Donovan. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Keaton, for some reason, is the first person that I think of when I think of, you know, the other cast members in this movie. But for some reason, uh, Brian Darcy James is someone who I find myself always watching whenever he's on screen, not just in this movie, but in other things. He's one of those sort of chameleon actors who pops up in things and no one really knows his name, but he's in all sorts of stuff. Um, So I think it'd be interesting if someone like him got, you know, his due. But considering, you know, the types of... uh, chameleon roles he plays. I don't know if he's someone who's uh, ever on people's radar. Mm. And finally, then, uh, Christoph says, I remember reading an article back in the day that's, that every single one of the Best Supporting Actor nominees has done frontal nudity at some point in his career at least once. I know this is not a question, but I feel like mentioning it. So, there's that. And of course, the, the only thing I can think of instantly are the glorious MySpace photos of um, Tom Hardy with just, you know, being face down, ass up. So there's that to look forward to if you ever want to look those up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brandon, take us away. Well, your nominees for Best Actor in a Leading Role in 2015 were... Brian Cranston, Trumbo. start with our winner for the year, Leonardo DiCaprio, winning for The Revenant. This is his fifth of six acting nominations and so far his only win. Going into this, he was uh, the industry favorite as he wins the Golden Globe, BAFTA, SAG, and the Critics' Choice Award. 
In The Revenant, Leonardo DiCaprio plays Hugh Glass, a man who's out to seek revenge on the guy who killed his son and left him for dead. So, Justin, how do you feel about Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant? Oh, boy. Okay. All right. So, let's be clear. So, at this point in Leo's career, the whole Leonardo hasn't won an Oscar had reached really obnoxious film Twitter bro levels that by the time this rolled around, like, people are just like, he's got to win it. Like, he has to win it. And so, I briefly hinted at it when we were talking about Hardy, but I hate The Revenant. I really, really hate The Revenant. I think it's just a poor man's knockoff Terrence Malick and a wrapped in like a poor man's searchers knockoff. I just think it's, it is very half-baked and it's one of those just faux pretentious movies where they talk, you know, the whole thing with their Oscar campaign was how difficult it was to shoot it. And they shot it in sub-freezing weather and they only had 15 minutes of the prime sunlight to shoot it. And with this report, Leo is just, he hasn't dialed fully up to 11. He's just going, he is so thirsty for that Oscar. It's not even funny. Like with just the huffing and the puffing and the spittle and the neck bulges and the vein bulges and then fighting the bear and climbing into the beer carcass. It's just, it's all just so much it's so much it's such obvious like go for broke just acting and it just drives me so incredibly insane where he's just making every single moment his oscar moment he's like you're gonna fucking give me that oscar if it's the last thing i do and then he was wouldn't shut up about how he actually climbed into the fucking deer carcass and how he ate deer meat and it's just it's so much and here's the thing, like, if you took away all the technicality of it and took away all the obvious, like, face-puffing acting, I don't know who Hugh Glass is as a character. I don't know who he is. And I think, and this is where, like, this is the big problem with the, acti- the lead actor lineup in the 2010s. It's all these performances that all fall into the same thing where it's all technical stuff but there's no character belief underneath it. You see it with Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker, Rami Malek of Bohemian Rhapsody, Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour, Eddie Redmayne with Theory of Everything, Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club, Colin Firth in The King's Speech. They're all just doing, like, either it's a gimmick, they have prosthetics on, or they're just doing, like, this obvious just acting stuff, but they aren't actually forming characters. Like, they don't form characters that if you took them took away all their their theatrics and their wham bands and their fireworks there's nothing there there's absolutely nothing here and this is the same with leo's performance there's absolutely nothing to this character and just everything that the character like again we have two hours of him just dragging himself through the mud and after that two hours i still don't know who hugh glass is it's just such an infuriating performance and it's such obvious expected acting and i'm sorry but like if a woman were to do this she would get raped all over the coals and they would just be like oh she's just she threw on a wig like you know with charlie Slayer and bombshell or like meryl streep and iron lady like okay they're just they're doing accents but like they're not really acting and i would say that they actually graph better characters than almost all of the winners this decade and especially leo who i just think makes such 
the biggest crime of them all. It's it's so I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it so much. It's this is why like there needs to be a rehaul in the entire best actor line because we're letting them get away with this. And it's the kind of obvious performance that Oscar goes for, and we keep rewarding them for it. And this is why like this decade is so exceedingly bad because it all just feels like surface level stuff and there is nothing going on beneath the surface. And look, we all could have avoided this if Leah would have just won for fucking Wolf of Wall Street because at least that character going over the top makes sense. This is just him being full pretentious for two and a half hours and just trying to go for broke and get that fucking Oscar. And you know what? He fucking did because the lineup is terrible and he had no other competition and he had to go in like a shitty fucking movie that thinks it's holier than thou and thinks it's like the second coming of like, you know, of cinema when it's fucking not like half of its, half of its themes are half-baked. They're like, it's, I hate this fucking movie. I hate this movie. I hate this performance. God, I, all right, I'm done. Someone, someone else talk. Wow. <laughs> um, so I don't think my predictions are coming through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just gonna say this, um, because I think you've said a lot about it very passionately. I'm not against you on that, but I think you've you've hit a lot of it on the nose. This is a campaign win. We all know it. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew it from day one. This mm-hmm. is not a great performance win. This is not anything new. This was how do we get Leo an Oscar and how do we make the entire campaign about eating bison liver raw <laughs> and literally, you know, getting hurt and yada, yada, yada. So, you know, when your co-host and Tom Hardy outshines you at every moment possible, mm-hmm. this is a campaign win. Brandon? Well, I wish I cared about anything half as much as Justin cares <laughs> about this nomination. Um, <laughs> I'll never feel as that, that much about anything in my life. Uh, you know, kind of like with Tom Hardy, um, there's something weird about this performance that I'm just kind of captivated by. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but I found myself, um, I, w- I was re-watching this, and for some reason, I was way more along for the ride the second time than I was the first time. Um, I don't disagree with Justin that there's not a whole lot of character here besides, you know, a whole hell of a lot of passion. Um, that's pretty much what sums up this character, and I guess you could say this film. Uh, the movie's more of a roller coaster ride than it is a character study. And um, going into it with that mindset, I found myself just kind of, you know, going with it. Um, Yeah, I wish he had, you know, had a little bit more character work to do. Um, It's very, um, Leo is being a bit of a stunt queen uh, with this performance. Um, Part of that is Inuritu's fault as well. Um, That's sort of his bag as a director in a lot of ways. And I think... um, the passions and the desperations played into each other, and uh, we ended up getting what we got. Um, I don't disagree that um, narrative and campaign had a lot to do with this win, um, but I think Justin had mentioned that, uh, for the most part, it's a bit of a wonky lineup, so I can see why um, this would be the one, all things considered, that people went for. 
Um, perhaps other people were also just along for the ride in the way that I was. Um, the first time I watched it, um, didn't care for it really at all. Uh, the movie just didn't really sit well with me. Um, now about five years or so removed from this season, um, I, I kind of went with it a little bit more than I did before. Um, I still don't love it. I don't think it's great. I know Leo has been better, um, but he he thrilled me. I'll give him that. So um, that pretty much sums up my feelings on it. Uh, I think he did well, but um, he was, you know, also doing a lot in this movie. Oh, he's always doing a lot. And all right, listen, I just want to say, like, relatively, no, actually not real fast. But listen, I really tried on this rewatch to try and like The Revenant more. Like, I really, really, really tried. But just the second time watching it, just all the bad qualities of the movie just stuck out so much like especially the scene where leo and the native american like they're catching snowflakes with their tongue like i'm, I'm sorry but that's it's some bullshit like that's again it plays like some knockoff malik version and that in your just doesn't know what the fuck he's doing um i'll just say this so listen even though i just went really really hard on leo i do think that leo can be a great actor when he isn't trying so hard. Because here's the thing. I think that Leo is, in a way, the male version of Anne Hathaway. And I think he's a tryhard. I think because he wasn't, he's a, he was a golden boy when he broke out in the 90s. You know, he was this cute little chirp-faced, blonde-haired kid. And I think that drove him up the wall because he didn't want to be a cute child star. He wanted to be taken serious as an actor, as a thespian. And that's how he got into the Scorsese run, and that's and he took on these roles where he wanted to shed away his golden boy image. And every single time he, especially with his Scorsese run, he's trying so hard to break away and basically de-ugly himself, and it just comes across as him trying way, way, way too hard. And it's during the performances like in Django and in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's not taking himself seriously and actually playing into his image of a Hollywood star, because I think Leo is one of the rare few A-list classic Hollywood stars who could open a movie with just his name above the poster. It could be whatever, but he's one of the only actors working who can still do that. And when he actually embraces it, he's a really great actor. And I think that he does have legit talent and he does have legit screen charisma. And there's a reason why that, the Leo is overdue for an Oscar train was so fervent up until this year, but it's just when he tries way too hard, it's just, you can see past the stick and you see the obvious acting that he is trying to do to make himself seem serious. And it's like, you don't have to do that, Leo. You don't have to try that hard. Like you, you had talent. Don't you force it down our throats. So just, I just wanted to say that real fast but hold on to that for a second because mr reese's cops wants to know if leo won because he was overdue which performance do you think was closest to winning before also given given that this was the second year of oscar so white do you have a poc actor do you do you think that deserved the uh to make the cut okay can i answer this all right because i have my full response ready so all right so i mentioned before Leo honestly should have won for the Wolf of Wall Street. We honestly could have saved ourselves a lot of grief if the Academy had the balls 
to have nominated Matthew McConaughey for Magic Mike, and he won in that year. That way, he has his Oscar, and then it frees up 2013 so that Leo can get his Oscar. Because otherwise, like, the rest of the movies, Leo gets nominated before this. Like, Blood Diamond, it's a whatever movie, and he was nominated for the wrong movie to begin with. Uh, Aviator, he's fine, I guess, but nobody was beating Jamie Foxx that year. Like, absolutely nobody. And World According to Garp, it was a good debut performance and a good debut huh? dramatic performance. But, um, but yeah, I'd say Wolf of Wall Street. If Well, if not, they should have just waited for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. But, I mean, if we would have just known he was going to do the Hollywood performance, they could have just saved a lot of grief and done that. As for people of color, like, I think Michael B. Jordan was right there. Like, he was literally right there, and they could have easily slide him in, and I think that he does amazing work in Creed, and I am just kind of disheartened that there was no traction for him, like, at all. Like, I understand, like, I understand, like, the Stallone angle, but the fact that Michael B. Jordan was right there, and he's doing just as good of a work, it's very disheartening that he just did not crack the lineup. And honestly... He could have knocked off a lot of people from this category, and it would have made it a lot better. I agree with uh, Michael B. Jordan. I think that nomination would have made a lot of sense. Uh, it seemed like uh, the studio or whoever was running things was really putting all their chips in the Stallone basket. Um, but I think Jordan would have been a welcome um, nominee here. Um, what was the other part of the question? Uh, what performance that Leo has done do you think he was closest to winning? I want to say Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I would also say Wolf of Wall Street was probably his closest. Now, um, my personal best actor winner of this year got the Globe nomination but didn't even get in, and that was Will Smith for Collateral. Or uh, not, I'm sorry, not Collateral, but uh, Concussion. Mm, um, I yeah. thought he deserved to win all around, um, so he didn't even get in, so he's who I'd put in. But, yep, that's it. Okay. Next, we have Brian Cranston nominated for Trumbo. This is his first and only nomination so far. Going into this, he wins the most important precursor, the AARP Movies for Grownups Award. Woo-hoo! And he's also recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice. In Trumbo, Brian Cranston plays Dalton Trumbo, a left-wing screenwriter who gets blacklisted during the Red Scare. So, Joey, how do you feel about uh, Brian Cranston and Trumbo? So I was actually, I remember this Oscar season two, I was really surprised because I remember Sally Kirkland posting a picture with Brian Cranston at a Trumbo screening. And that was the first time I even heard about the movie. And I was like, what the fuck is Trumbo? I mean, I knew who Dalton Trumbo was, but I, I don't remember ever hearing about that they were doing a biopic on him. And then I think this also took me by surprise with, you know, going you know, or this nomination. And I remember going into this being like, oh, you know, obviously I'm interested. And I was very pleasantly pleased with how much I enjoyed this movie. It, it, it does not get as much recognition as it deserves. And then, of course, you had Helen Mirren, who was a possible nominee for supporting actress as she showed up all over the place. Um, and I think I think. Brian Cranston does really good work here. I, I'm actually surprised that even five years later, like he still weirdly gets some shit for this role. And I don't understand why, um, because he's genuinely really good um, there, you know, and he's weirdly funny too, throughout this movie. I mean, the bathtub scenes 
well, if the house is burning down, I'm in the fucking bathtub. You know, like it's it's actually really kind of adorable. Um, and I think it shines light to a, a really dark period in Hollywood. And with the way that the Oscars love to kiss their own asses with Hollywood movies about Hollywood, I'm surprised that that he wasn't a stronger contender this year. But again, this was a very um, political campaign year with Leo. So, it, you know, no one was breaking that mold. Um, yeah, I think it's really good here. I enjoy this a lot. Uh, okay. Um, okay. I think this is just a very, very thoroughly okay performance. I think it's an okay performance in an okay movie, which, like, not to throw shade at HBO movies, but it does feel like a made-for-HBO movie. Like, I just, I'm not really that, like, the way it's, like, shot and directed, it just feels very middle of the road, and... I think that Brian Cranston is doing okay work, but especially considering like the story of Dalton Trumbo and HUAC and just the communist scare of the fifties, there's so much meat that could have been done and could have been mined with. And with Trumbo, I just feel like we get a very safe down the middle approach where it doesn't really go into the nitty gritty of just how, absolutely terrifying it could it was in Hollywood to be a leftist and to be a communist supporter and how much the blacklist ruined careers um yeah I just think like Cranston's okay I think that the bathtub scenes are cute like Joey mentioned I think they're cute I think he does his part but I think I'm just gonna speak very honestly I think that this is just clout from his Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad had just ended like two or three years ago he was transitioning to film roles and like Hollywood was very, very ready to like basically embrace him into the quote big boys club and like to welcome him into the, into the mo- into the feature film world. And they were going to jump on the first chance they got. And then when Trumbo rolled along, like they were like, all right, there we go. Like real life person, biopic, Cranston, easy money, but it's just, it's an okay performance. If this had been a stronger year, he would not even make my ballot. He probably would be like, I don't even know he would make like my runner up list. It's just, it's a performance that I, I think is fine, but it's also a performance that I have seen before in so many other biopic movies. And I think especially, again, knowing the behind the scenes story of Dalton Trumbo and what he went through with HUAC, I think that this could have been a much stronger movie and could have been a much stronger written performance, but otherwise it's just fine. It, it literally is just fine, but it doesn't impact me in any way. And this was like the only movie of the entire lineup that I did not see during this initial award season. And it was the first one I did when I, when we were when doing the rewatch homework and, and yeah, I was just like, okay, it's fine. But I think that there is a reason why like it didn't get any Oscar traction outside of Brian Cranston and why it just kind if this movie didn't get a nomination, I hate to say it, but it would be one of those movies that just don't exist. Like that literally just don't exist. Like without this nomination, no one would talk about it. But so yeah, it's like Cranston's fine, but it, it's it's just fine. It's fine. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with what you're saying there at the end. Uh, I feel like Brian Cranston is really the only reason to watch this film. Um, I don't think it's a particularly great film. It's not, you know, groundbreaking in its direction. It's not really telling a story that we've never, you know, seen or heard before. Um, but Brian Cranston here is actoring really hard. Um, he's doing, you know, all the mannerisms, all the inflections. Uh, he's really going for something here. And it stands out to me. Um, and not in a great way when you're looking at the entire movie, because I don't think anyone else is quite on his wavelength in this movie. I don't think anyone else is really going for it in the way that he is here in Trumbo. And um, it makes me wonder if uh, whoever directed this, the name escapes me right now, if they ever really you know, tried to rein him in or if they just kind of let him go. And um, it doesn't quite sit well with me um, as a whole. Isolating him, I mean, he's he seems to be putting in the work. Like, he seems to really give a damn about this performance, but uh, it doesn't quite match. Um, everything else that's going on around him. Uh, I agree with uh, Justin. I'm sure a lot of um, the Breaking Bad um, enthusiasm is uh, playing into um, his narrative here and how he gets in um, for this one. Um, but I find it kind of interesting that people mock Leo for, you know, demonstrating some desperation as an actor in The Revenant. But no one talks about Brian Cranston in this one, who seems to be really, really trying. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit too much for me. Um, I think he's really trying to go for this old Hollywood uh, way of speaking. It's almost like he's it seems like he is trying to stylize his performance in a way that the movie is not choosing to stylize itself. Mm. Maybe if the movie had um, adopted a similar approach and had really played into whatever it is that he's doing and everyone else around him was doing what he's doing, it really could elevate his performance and he could elevate the film, um, you know, vice versa. But um, right now it seems like he is on a completely different planet with the movie that we are presented with. So um, I find this um, a bit of a conundrum, to be honest. To answer your question, the director is Jay Roach. He did the... Oh, yeah. The he did the Meet the Parents movies and also yeah. did like the Sarah Palin movie on HBO and like does a now he's now in that thing where he does a bunch of the political stuff and like last year he did Bombshell which you know, we all talk about that one but yeah I mean like you don't want to stop hating on Bombshell it is a great fucking movie no I do like Bombshell I think the performances are great I but I think that there could have been a better director that's that's all that's all I'll say about. That. Next, we have Matt Damon, nominated for The Martian. This is his third of three acting nominations. Going into this, he wins the Golden Globe for Comedy, as well as the National Board of Review Award. And he's also recognized with BAFTA and Critics' Choice. In The Martian, Matt Damon plays Mark Watney, an astronaut stranded on Mars who must get creative to stay alive. So, Justin, how do you feel about Matt Damon and The Martian? Yeah, um... So not to say that, like, I'm icy on Matt Damon, but it's kind of like the South Park joke of, like, Matt Damon. Like, he's just one of those performance performance perf He's what uh, I can't talk now. He's one of those actors that I've kind of just been like, meh, like, he's fine, but I don't, I don't get the appeal. Like, I like him in the Bourne movies, but that's outside of that, that's it. 
I was really, really pleasantly surprised when I first watched The Martian and his performance. I really think this is like a classic A-list Hollywood star performance. I think he's really, really solid. He's engaging. He makes you care about Mark Watney's journey throughout. And it's and just The Martian in general is just such a really solidly well done movie and how it and how like each scenario like builds on top of each other and how it creates suspense. And that whole like climax scene where he's escaping from Mars, like, oh, it's it's so well done. And like I and he's just like the the anchor that cements it throughout the entire movie. Um, with that said, though, and this is not a dig, but you could take it as a dig, but to me, like, this kind of highlights more of, like, the problem with this lineup. It does, in many ways, feel like a fifth-place filler nomination. Like, if this had been a stronger year, I don't think he would have made the cut at all, because... Even though he's really good in the movie, and I think he does the role well, and he engages the audience, and his character has a very defined arc about, like, survival and how he grows from the experience and just the whole scene where he's like, I have I've discovered how to make plants. I have made Mars habitable. Like, yay me. I think those are great scenes. But I don't see where the moment comes of like, oh, Oscar nomination. I, there's, it just doesn't have that in the movie. And it's not a dig against the movie because I think the movie, first and foremost, is very much a survival story. And it, you know, it's supposed to like rack up the tension and you're supposed to empathize and root for Mark Watney to get off Mars. And that's the end game. But there isn't that, that, that big flex moment that Damon has that really like throws him into like an actual like Oscar nomination. Like again, like it just feels a little bit just like filler. And again, it's not a diss. I think he is very solid, but I feel like the performance just doesn't have that moment. But he is very good, and it's one of the rare Matt Damon performances that I actually do really like, and I wish he did more. So, Sandra Bullock in space, Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway in space, Matt Damon in space, (laughs) Natalie Portman in space, Bradley Pitt in space. (laughs) He is a theme this decade. Mm. These fuckers in space. And I'm tired. <laughs> I'm so tired of this shit. Um, I saw The Martian in theaters and um, was very middle of the road with it when it came out. I mean, I mainly saw it for Kristen Wiig and Jessica Chastain. And let me just tell you, they weren't in it a whole lot in the end. Um, but... Uh, Yeah, I think, first of all, hilarious that this is a Golden Globe musical or comedy nominee and winner. Um, (laughs) He has a funny moment, sure, when the shit explodes on him. But, like, I guess in the end, this this really is just, like, all right, this is Matt Damon's survival. 
this is Matt Damon in space. I'm never like, this is Mark Watney in space. I'm like, this is Matt Damon. This is, is, is Matt Damon going to get back to earth so he can go back in time and save the Chinese from the dragon monsters at the great wall. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a mess. I think it's just like, we, this is one that we've seen before and I'm just, I'm tired. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I think the Martian is fun, but I don't know if it's a movie that really needed to be recognized in quite this way. Um, I read the book prior. I mean, the book was a huge success and I think that played into the popularity of the film um, the book is really fun, very smart in its writing, and a lot of that comes through, I think, in this film. Um, Matt Damon's movie star charisma is um, really, um, the movie's really playing into all of that here. Um, he's also an actor that I'm not really fond of either. Um, I'm always very aware that I'm watching a Matt Damon performance. Um, here, I guess I'm a little more forgiving of it because he is kind of playing into that. With this one and you know he delivers um the lines pretty well um there's a lot of humor here um with his struggles and his you know asides uh directly to the to the camera and whatever you know as he's trying to survive and um recording it all for whatever reason um but yeah it's uh it's not one that i'm super fond of i just think it's uh perfectly fine it reminds me of um it kind of reminds me of like an old Hollywood star vehicle, like subtracting out, you know, this particular plot and production mm-hmm. value. It reminds me of something that we would see like a Cary Grant play, like a movie that would play mm. into Cary Grant's strengths. Um, like a role that could only have been written for that person. Uh, it seems like Matt Damon is sort of taking this character and doing that with it. This feels very like Matt Damon through and through. So I guess that's pretty cool. But um, yeah, he's just not a person that I really... Um, grasp onto as a performer and um i don't know if the martian's ever really going to be a movie that i'm uh eager to watch again um but um yeah he did he did what he did and it's fine i guess i just want to say real fast that matt damon does not deserve to be talked about in the same breath as natalie portman and lucy in the sky with diapers okay like that they are in two different hemispheres okay like Matt Damon in space, Natalie Portman in space. I'm tired. <laughs> so basically, going into the 2020s, no more Hollywood stars in space. We can put that to rest, basically. Yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> Unless they put Alfre Woodard in space, no more goddamn space. I am not <laughs> too tired for that, though, let me tell you. <laughs> Uh, next, we have Michael Fassbender, nominated for Steve Jobs. This is his second of two uh, nominations. Going into this, he wins with the Los Angeles Film Critics, and he's recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice. In Steve Jobs, Michael Fassbender plays Steve Jobs, the uh, face of Apple. So, um, Joey, how do you feel about Michael Fassbender and Steve Jobs? So here's the thing. I mentioned it before when we talked about Kate Winslet last season. I really enjoyed the Jobs movie with Ashton Kutcher. I think he looked exactly like Steve Jobs. It really wasn't a bad movie. And it was actually a really good performance of him as Steve Jobs. Um, So I was, you know, really going into this, I was like, do we really need another Steve Jobs movie? And let's just be honest, this was only a successful movie because it was Aaron Sorkin. 
with his writing. I like I like what Fassbender is doing here, but Ashton is the better Steve Jobs. I'm just gonna say it. Um, Ash, you know, Steve Jobs wasn't like a cuddly bear type person. We all know that, but Fassbender makes him so extra unlikable that it's almost endearing. And I don't know if that's a great thing, but it's weird. Um, at least with Kutcher, like he gave us like, I think Steve Jobs is a person and Fassbender plays him very much like a robot here. Like it's one dimension, not one dimensional. What I mean, it's like a robot. It's one dimension. It's, you know, he's locked in on his target and here he is the entire time at the same speed. Um, yeah, it's fine, but Ashton was the better Steve Jobs. Bold take there. Bold take that Ashton was the better Steve Jobs. Oh, my. That's uh, a bad movie. I, it, I don't know why that one bombed, but this one did. And, and again, it has to be because it was a Sorkin production on this one. Yeah, I have not seen Ashton Kutcher's Steve Jobs biopic just because when it face planted, it just did not have an interest. But maybe I'll, I'll go and check it out and just kind of see. But as of right now, I... I really love Michael Fassbender in this movie. I think that I think that he's just in this whole lineup the breath of fresh air. Um, I think that he does an amazing job of actually balance balancing out the theatrics of Steve Jobs the character while also creating a character that we know that we can see as Steve Jobs, but also Fassbender makes it his own. Like I think that th- there is so many layers to this Steve Jobs because as you pointed out, Joey. Steve Jobs was not the most personable man in the entire world. He was very much he was interest, he was very much interested in the Apple brand and his technology and fostering that. But he was very bad with his personal connections. And I think Aaron Sorkin's script and Fassbender's performance does a very great job of conveying like how hard it is for him to connect with people and how that progresses throughout the different chapters in the movie and how he relates to the women in his life from him being a father to him being a boss and how these and how his alienating personality can be very detrimental to the people who are supposed to be closest to him i'm i think he and winslet have very great repertoire but i'm even more fascinated by the dynamic between him and his daughter and how that progresses throughout the movie. Cause especially near the, cause it, with the three distinct parts of the movie, I think Fassbender brings a different level of nuance and also shows progression in Steve Jobs. And especially when he gets to the later part where his daughter is grown up and you see this moment where he realizes that his daughter has now grown up before in his eyes and he doesn't really know who she is. And I th- and you see it play in his head and in his acting, how that is, it, he would never say it, you know, outright, because that's not who Steve Jobs is. But inside and internally, you can see it's eating him up. And you can see the frustration of, for him being such a technical genius and revolutionizing the world that we live in, the ones that are supposed to be the most important to him, he has failed. And I think that eats him up so much. And 
he is by the time the movie is over, even though that there is some slight closure between the women in his life and who he is as a person, there is still that bitter aftertaste of he is gonna be alone. He's alone for the most part for his entire life, and no one is ever going to be able to break the armor that is Steve Jobs. And I just this is Fazbender is just so amazing in this, and I. Especially if you're watching, it hurts me because, especially the state where Fazbender's career is now after that atrocious Dark Phoenix movie, I'm just, I wanted to come back and do this kind of work again because I think he is so stellar and so sublime and he truly brings not just his own distinct version of Steve Jobs, but you never, but it is his own version without losing the mystique of who we know as Steve Jobs. I, I think it's brilliant. I think I love it. And I think he he deserves so much better. He we need to save his career. He because he's really is one of the best actors that we have right now. And I understand, you know, he's a father now. He's settled down and maybe he likes the married life more, but he could come back and do another great performance. And I just miss old school Fassi. I really do. And yeah, this 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 performance is amazing. I love it. Like really, really love it. I'm quite fascinated by this performance as well. Um, I think he does quite a bit here. Um, this is a very cerebral performance, um, which is appropriate considering he's playing a very brainy, um, strategic-minded person. Uh, but that's not to say that it's mechanical or robotic. I think he is just so in his head that he compartmentalizes too much and suppresses emotion. It's almost like he's a Vulcan. I think they even maybe say that in the movie. Someone compares him to like Dr. S or Mr. Spock at some point. I can't recall. But um, I really dig it. Uh, I agree with what Justin's saying. Even though he is trying to remain um, as, you know, objective or neutral as he can, you know, in character, you can tell he is feeling a lot of things under the surface. And I really like how this movie shows us three distinct points in his life and career and how he changes or doesn't change from point to point and how that affects him and all those people around him. Uh, his uh, cerebral characteristics are really part of his tragedy as a character. A lot of the downfalls in his life, uh, particularly with you know, the women in his life, have a lot to do with uh, his ego and him refusing to, you know, set things aside and just be a normal human. And um, I think a lot of that eats away at him. Uh, this is a character who I think has some regrets but would never admit to them, um, at least not, you know, until the very end um, with his daughter uh, when he finally, you know, turns his back on this uh, launch or whatever it is uh, to be with her um, for the first time in a long time. And uh, I think this character has a pretty solid arc, but you don't quite realize it until the end, um, just how much he is, you know, struggling on the inside. It's not just, you know, his public persona or his financial success. He's really struggling to develop as a person. And a lot of that is self-inflicted. Um, trying to trying to be he's trying to engineer a life that 
ought to be happening or happening organically, you know? Um, so I think this is a pretty complex character. I'm even like struggling to put it into words, but um, I think there's a lot going on in this movie um, with this character. Um, I think Fassbender is, you know, at the top of his game, as is Aaron Sorkin. And Danny Boyle is also doing quite a bit here behind the camera. Um, we cannot erase uh, Danny Boyle from this equation. Um, this is a pretty masterfully crafted film, and I think Fassbender fits into it really well. I don't know if there is a question. I doubt there's a question for this, but I do have a question for you guys about this, because I'm sure you guys know, but initially when this movie was announced, it was supposed to be... David Fincher was supposed to be directing. And it was supposed to be the big social network reunion between him and Sorkin. And Leonardo and Natalie Portman were supposed to be in the roles that Fassbender and Winslet eventually took over. Because um, I was just going to say, like, I think that Danny Boyle does a really good job. But I feel like Fincher would have done more interesting stuff with it. And I'm almost curious, like, one, would you guys have... Would you guys, did you guys hope for the Fincher version or are you just kind of indifferent about seeing what Fincher would have done? Um, yeah, that's just, that's my general question. Brandon, you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, I kind of, I'm fine with this version existing instead. I worry that with Fincher, it might have played as too cold because uh, mm. the Steve Jobs in this film is already cold. Um, you know, he's cut off from, everyone around him. Uh, he doesn't really confide a whole lot or open up a whole lot. Um, we get brief moments of it, but he very quickly, you know, shuts the door. And um, Fincher is pretty notorious for his, you know, cold mm. energy. So I wonder if it would have gone a little bit too far if mm. Fincher had been in control. I don't know. I, I'm not a, I'm, this movie just like isn't my shit. Um, so I, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't you know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not thrilled with this movie. I'm not thrilled. I think everyone, I think everyone here has done way better work. So I'll just leave it at that. Fair, 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 fair. Did you guys see uh, Fastbender's Macbeth that came out this year as well? Yes. No. I hate Shakespeare. <gasps> I okay. I really love so all right. I don't want to say I love Shakespeare. Like more like I mean, honestly, if someone says they love Shakespeare, I think they're fucking lying because who really likes reading Shakespeare and being taught to death in English class? But I'm just I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But with that said, all right. I really loved Fassbender's Macbeth. Like, I was obsessed with the cinematography and the color palette and just what they do with the story of Macbeth. Um, I think it would have been, like, a worthy alternate nomination if you would have gotten that, but I do remember that when that version came out, it was very divisive, and I think it kind of just killed the movie's chances of getting any sort of Oscar, but... I was very disappointed that the cinematography did not get anything because, oh my God, like the cinematography in that movie is chef's kiss, like chef's kiss all around. Just like the final battle scene where it's just bathed in orange or like when Marion Cotillard is like spiraling into craziness and there's just like the white that's so heavenly and it just 
looks off-putting. Like it's, oh, I, I love that version. I love that version of Except. I think it's so amazing. It's so underrated. And I think Fassbender and Cotillard do such amazing work in that. And I, w- I wish things would have gone better for that version of Macbeth because it's, I think it's an unsung gem of that year. I agree. <laughs> Yay! Yay! That's why I asked the question because I think yeah. it's really great. Uh, if uh, you know, if he didn't have Steve Jobs this year, I think it would have been a worthy nomination for him. And Marion Cotillard was absolutely robbed because she is phenomenal. So great. Oh, so great. Like, ugh. Ugh. I just think it's a shame when Fassbender can't get in for something like Shame, which is, in my opinion, the single best performance of the decade from anybody. Mm. But it's in for this. Just, yes. why not both? Why not both? I Yeah. Shame. Shame. <laughs> well, next we have... Eddie Redmayne, nominated for The Danish Girl. This is his second of two nominations. Going into this, he doesn't really win anything, but he is nominated with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, and Critics' Choice. In The Danish Girl, Eddie Redmayne plays Lily Elbe, a Danish artist, and the film chronicles her journey to becoming her true self. So, Justin, how do you feel about Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl? Jesus fucking Christ, we had to end on absolute shit, didn't we? Ugh, okay, uh, I really despise, I, I know I went off on a tangent on Revenant, how I hated that movie, but I despise the Danish girl. And talk about a movie that even back then, it already got a toxic reputation. And even just five years later, I think this movie has just aged so poorly. And Redenay's not helping, because if Viola Davis has her snot, and Tom Hardy has his accent. Eddie Redmayne has the gulp. Like, that is his whole stick. He gulps, flutters his eyelashes, and looks sad. And that, that's his stick. That is his entire stick. And this performance, it literally is just all, I think it's just very disrespectful to transgendered people and just transgendered actresses in general. I, it's, I'm going to bring up, so Amy Nicholson did a review for this and I pulled a line from it and I think that she puts it into words not only just like what the problem with the movie is but what the problem with Ed Redmayne's performance is in general so she said this so Redmayne is exaggerated simpering body language all head ducking and languid caresses which she learned studying a peep show stripper someone who is herself play acting a faux femininity for men And I think that's where the biggest problem with Danish Girl is that it wants to present that it's Lily's story, but it's done in a way where Tom Hooper is kind of leering and objectifying her and objectifying her transness in a way that is so distasteful and so off-putting. And Redmayne is just not helping with it at all. He is playing in a very, very, very cisgendered idea of what it means to be a transgendered person with just faux acting and like the over-exaggeration and the whole focus of the movie is just on the transition but we don't actually get a full scope of who of Lily's transformation it's in a psychological and personality 
way. Like, it all is just about the transition and about her transness. And that is, like, a big, big issue with a lot of trans portrayals in media is that they focus almost exclusively on the transition, but not the actual, like, psychological or just even just, like, everything that is not physical about it and just, like, the psychological stuff that goes on with it. And the movie just does a disservice where it's, again, like I said, it tries to present that it is Lily's story, but let's be honest, it really isn't her story. It's actually Alicia Vikander's story. Like, it's... And the scene that kind of drives me up a wall and is when Alicia Vikander is saying to Lily, like, where's my husband? I want my husband back. And I understand... I understand on paper what they are trying to do, but how it's portrayed and how it's directed and how it's acted is Redmayne just comes off in a very selfish manner and being about, well, this is all about like my transition and my, and my perspective. And that's such a narrow, narrow, narrow view because when trans, and I listen, I can't speak, for trans people, you know, I'm not a trans person and I could be completely off, but this is just from my perspective. When in the part of transitioning, there is also the fallout from the people around you. And the fact is that like for some people, the person that you are is no longer there. And that's when we get, you know, the terms like dead names and how you are completely becoming a new person you're almost having a second adolescence and the movie is just so ham-fistedly tone deaf about those nuances and just does it in a way that I understand again that they're trying to frame it for a wider audience so they can be easily digestible but just in Tom Hooper's hands I, I think it's just it's it's kind of repugnant and I in Redmayne is just not helping at all I it's just the gulping, the fluttering, and just the the flick of the wrist. It's, just, it's again, like like I've said with Leo, and like I keep harping on, like with this whole lineup and just the 2010s actor lineup in general. It's all theatrics, but there isn't an actual character in it, and I think it is made even more worse by the fact that the film just puts Lily's transitioning in just such a leering, just uh, the disgusting way that just does not sit well with me. I I really hate this movie. And it was the movie that I saved for the very last to watch because I really, really, really did not want to rewatch this movie. And it just kind of reaffirmed all my stuff. And just again, five years later, it shows its age really, really badly, more so than any other movie in this year and in this lineup. So... Yeah, I, I hate it. Like, I hate it. I hate it. Thanks, I hate it. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think this movie's aged well. Just as a movie, it's just... it. I don't think it was very good when it came out. I, you know, I, we, I keep saying this, but I stated this in 2015. I definitely think this is also Vikander's story. Um, and I don't think this worked well with Tom Hooper, although... That's a whole other conversation. Focusing on Redmayne here and what he's doing for the story of Lily, I don't hate it. I think it's actually weirdly touching. Um, it makes me... 
it, it, it makes me feel for the character of Lily. It makes me feel for the character, the characters around her. It makes me, it makes me really kind of want to do research that I have done at post seeing this on this story. And, you know, it, there's, I, I you know, it's weird to talk about these these nominations because there's such a narrative behind them now. Um, we'll talk about it again in a couple of weeks with Jared Leto, but it's like I I I, I got to look at this at this performance. And I, I do like this performance. I think it's I think I think it, it it is one that if you go and look at at just what Redmayne is doing, I think it's it's sweet in a way. And what I mean by that is, again, it makes me feel for the character. And this could have been, this could have been a very colorful character in, if someone had taken this role and just made Lily almost like a caricature. Um, I'm sure there was ways that you could make Lily like any character, not likable. And I think Redmayne is just really tapping into what, was the story of the first gender reassignment surgery and what that person went through at that time. Um, so despite, you know, everything else surrounding this movie controversy wise, and again, focusing on the performance, I think Redmayne does a really good job here. Um, but yeah, this is Vikander's story. The movie itself hasn't aged well. It didn't even age well when it came out um, as a whole. It's not great, but Redmayne I think is good. Um, I think Tom Hooper is more interested in the color palette of this movie than he was the characters. It all feels very surface level to me, and that includes Redmayne here. I kind of agree with what Justin was saying. It feels like Redmayne's putting on a show and not quite in the best way. It It's almost too, I don't know, it's kind of hard to talk about. It's almost too aware of itself, like he's, I don't know trying to present himself in a certain way. And I don't know, it's really kind of struggling to put it into words without sounding insensitive, but it all just feels very, um, I don't know, I guess surface level is the only way to put it. I just, I don't think he's really going anywhere with this character. And it's one of those stories where I wonder how differently it could have been told in someone else's hands, um, starting with Hooper and then, you know, ultimately the performer. Um, because there is a lot of potential to this story. There's a historical significance to it and a cultural significance and all that. Um, it just feels as though the movie never really takes off. Like there's a whole racetrack ahead of it and uh, the gunshot just went off and they only took a couple of steps and then stopped. Like they didn't really go very far with this. And I don't know ultimately what this movie's trying to say. And... Um, I'm ultimately not really sure what to make of Redmayne's performance because it just feels a little bit too, I don't know, I guess baity is an okay word to put it, uh, to, to label it with. Um, it just seems like a, a movie that was, you know, designed for um, a platform such as the Academy. And considering the afterglow of both, you know, Redmayne and Hooper, it all just kind of came together. And uh, yeah, it just doesn't really sit well with me. Um, it didn't play any better on rewatch for me than it did the first time. Uh, it just feels super misguided in the worst of ways. And uh, it really makes me wonder uh, how differently it could have been done, you know, with someone else mm -hmm. in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Cause 
just to kind of piggyback, like, like you said, like, and like what Joey said, like, I, there is a very interesting and powerful story here and not to bring up the, cause I know you guys have talked about the argument of should trans actors play trans roles and should white, uh, cisgender white people be excluded from it. Um, I will say like, no, like if you can do the performance well, then I'm not going to hold it against you, but it's this kind of example where that art, where that argument does come up of like, if this is the best that we are getting from cis people trying to tell trans stories and our stories, then it bring it gives us that ammunition of like, okay, like if this is the best they're they're giving us, we can't give them that because they clearly don't know how to tell our stories and we need to take charge. I mean, this is a whole Hollywood thing in general. Like story, like it's very, very hard to get story like our stories told in a way that is nuanced that isn't just such a surface level or, or just about like one story you know like because that's the beauty of like our community is that we have so many different stories and s come from so many places and when you look at the media representation that we get it's usually just boiled down to like either if it's a gay person coming out story lesbian story forbidden romance trans character transition story bisexuals just don't exist or they're just sluts like it's those very narrow 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 lanes that we are trying to break free from and trying to actually show a wider audience that we have more stories to tell and things like the danish girl just don't help us like it does not help our community at all um i i guess i can just say like I'm glad that it's out there just for, you know, representation and to show how we can do better, but that's all I'm going to give to the film. That's literally all I can get to it. Heard that, heard that. <laughs> and Queens, before we get to the rankings, a word from, well, me and our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to share a bit of the spotlight with, I don't know, Meryl Streep, Jessica Lange, Angela Bassett, and maybe hopefully one day someone like Aquafina, or play a game where Daniel Kaluuya is on a team? Well, this year, Queens, you can, thanks to today's sponsor, The Star Draft. As the listeners already know, Hollywood Awards season is finally almost, almost here, and God knows it's a long one this year, and The Star Draft lets you be a part of it like never before. What is it, though? Well, I'll tell you. It's a little like fantasy football. I don't know what that is, but I do know that it meets the Golden Globes, and I definitely know what that is, and here's how it works. Head to thestardraft.com to create a league to invite friends or join a public league to make new ones. Draft a team of 10 actors and musicians, musicians who are actors or actors who happen to sing. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. Do you think Olivia Coleman is going to sweep every awards show this winter? Draft her. I know she did the last time. She did really, really good. Hashtag the favorite. Before every nomination and award show, set a lineup. Every time your actor or musician earns an accolade, they earn your team points. Then sit back, relax, watch the awards ceremonies as you, I don't know, drink a beer, eat some nachos, fight with your grandma. I don't care but rehearse your acceptance speech. The site's top scoring team at the end of Oscar night earns a cash prize. Hey, you may not walk away with an Oscar, but you will walk away with cash in your pocket. It's 100% free. And because we love the Star Draft and you all so much, well, most of you, we've created a public league that you can join right now. Seriously, join us. All you have to do is sign up and join our Academy Queens League at thestardraft.com. That's www.thestardraft.com. We look forward to beating you all award season long. 
and probably beating you more than others. Love you guys. As a recap of our supporting <laughs> actor nominees from this year, we had Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight, Mark Rylance in Bridge of Spies, Tom Hardy in The Revenant, Sylvester Stallone in Creed, and Christian Bale in The Big Short. Number five is going to Mark Rylance. This is just a big no-no. This is a no-no all around. Um, Justin, what about you? Yes, my number five is going to be Christian Bale. It's a performance we have seen before in The Fighter, and he does better, and there's just not really a character here and it just doesn't leave an impact. And it's, we've seen better twitchy Bale. So that's why he's number five, like just does nothing for me. Christian Bale is also my number five for the big short. Um, likewise, uh, just doesn't really do anything for me. And I'm not really a fan of the big short. So altogether, it's just a big no for me. Christian Bale is my number four. Um, yeah. <laughs> um my number four it's gonna be tom hardy just can't understand a word he's saying and just he's fine but just doesn't doesn't do anything for me he does what he needs to do but this is kind of a coattail nomination for how much people in the academy love the revenant and like the fact that he was swept in and didn't have any precursors and not to say that there was a reason why he didn't get any, but it's, yeah, I just, it's, it's what, it's fine. It's fine. So number four. Mark Ruffalo is my number four for Spotlight. Um, there's definitely a whole lot of passion behind this uh, performance. And you can tell Mark Ruffalo um, that this means a lot to him as an actor playing the part, but I'm more fascinated by what the other three are doing. So uh, Mark Ruffalo is only number four for Spotlight. Well, middle of, middle of the road, number three for me, is going to be Mark Ruffalo, just because it's not bad, it's not great, but it still just has me wondering, is he performing this, or are the characters, like, are the actor quirks performing this? Um, very distracting. So, Mark Ruffalo at three. Yeah, my number three, it's going to be Sylvester Stallone. Um, again, I think he's good, and I think he does bring some new nuances, but... Like I said previously, maybe I just set way too high of a bar of expectations, but I just wanted more. And I will say that, like, because he didn't win the Oscar, this role does, I view it a lot more favorably now, especially on the rewatch, but I can't place him any higher than three. He's very much my middle of the road. Like, great for a nomination, but not for a win. My number three is Sylvester Stallone for Creed. Um, I like the new flavors that he added into this character. Um, you know, this is definitely, um, in, um, I don't want to say an aged Rocky because, you know, obviously it's been 40 years, but there's definitely some, some weight to this character that was not quite there in all the previous renditions. But um, it doesn't quite rise to the occasion for me. So uh, Sylvester Stallone is only number three for Creed. My final two are both extremely mind-blowing performances, in my opinion. One, we have a heavyweight comeback, no pun intended, um, in Sylvester Stallone. And the other one is the best thing about The Revenant, period. Um, with that said, despite my love for both, 
my runner-up has to be Sylvester Stallone, which means I'm giving Tom Hardy the win. Um, this was extremely hard for me as Stallone was my winner on Oscar night and really should have won that Oscar on Oscar night. Um, and I think what he's doing is brilliant, but upon my rewatch of the Revenant, Hardy sealed it for me. Um, he is everything that you want in a villain. He is, like I said, delicious. And I want to eat everything that he's giving up and sop it up with a biscuit because it's on point from his accent work to his evilness, to his dirty, musty figure. I just want more. And therefore I have to give the winner to Tom Hardy. Okay. Okay. Um, so for a while, um, so I have Ruffalo and Rylance as my one and two spots, but for a while I had my number one, like, they were going to be my winner, but then upon rewatch, I switched. So my runner-up is going to be Ruffalo, and my winner is going to be Rylance. Um, I, I think Ruffalo is the heart of the movie. I think he does very well. But again, like, upon rewatch, the big they-know-they-knew moment does feel just a little bit too out of place in the movie that, for the most part, has been presenting the facts in a very even straightforward way and it kind of just altered the performance for me whereas with Rylance like upon me watch this there was so much about this character that I rediscovered and that I got to see more of and it's one of those I think it's one of those performances that is truly the definition of what a great subtle performance is and I think he just gave so much more to me on this rewatch. And so that's why I had to put Rylands as my winner for the year. My runner up is Tom Hardy for The Revenant. Uh, this is a performance that I was pretty taken with this most recent time. It's a whole lot of fun and, you know, it's thrilling. Um, I'm also just, you know, a big fan of Westerns. Uh, people might not know that about me. And he plays into, you know, a lot of the, the Western villain tropes. And um, I found it fascinating on that level. But um, I have more of an understanding uh, of who Mark Rylance is when Bridge of Spies is over um, than I do um, Tom Hardy. Uh, Mark Rylance is also just doing a lot more intricate work. I find myself really fascinated with every single little movement that he's doing. I don't think there is a single gesture that, was, um, that he was unaware of. Uh, I think Mark Rylance is completely in control of his entire body, all his muscles, uh, his vocal cords, everything about what he does is so specific and precise, and you can really see um, his craft on display here in Bridge of Spies. So even though I'm not the biggest fan of the movie Bridge of Spies, um, I think Mark Rylance is giving a terrific performance in it. So Mark Rylance is my winner for Bridge of Spies. Ooh. It's not and, uh, either of you. <laughs> And uh, as a reminder, your leading men were Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant, Brian Cranston for Trumbo, Matt Damon for The Martian, Michael Fassbender for Steve Jobs, and Eddie Redmayne for The Danish Girl. My number five is Eddie Redmayne for The Danish Girl. Um, not really going to get into it any more than we already have. It's just a no for me. So Eddie Redmayne, number five. Justin? Um, okay, so... I'm just going to say one or two things real, real, real fast. So there is a very, very big giant chasm 
between my three and five and my top two. Like there is a very big Marianas trench because again, I think that just this lineup is bad. I think this lineup is one of the worst in the category's history. And I think it could have been easily fixed if these three had been nominated instead with, I already mentioned Michael B. Jordan, but Tom Hanks and Bridges Fives and Jacob Tremblay for Room, I think that it would have just elevated this category so much. And I think it was bullshit that the Room people are trying to push Tremblay in the supporting category because, let's be honest, he's fucking not supporting, but, you know, Hollywood's weird relationship with child actors and not taking them seriously unless they're blah, blah, blah. But, so yeah, I just wanted to say that off the bat, there's going to be a very, very large, large gap between who I have in my top two. So, number five, Eddie Redmayne, just, it's, I hate the movie. I don't like the performance. I think it's bad. It's obvious acting. It just doesn't help the case with Redmayne as an actor. And I just, I it's aged very badly. It's it's just a bad, bad, bad performance and a very, very bad lineup. My number five is Leo DiCaprio. This is a campaign win. Um, he's outshined by Tom Hardy in every aspect. And uh, there's just not much to it outside of grunting and grunting. So number five, Leo DiCaprio. My number four is Matt Damon for The Martian. Um I think Matt Damon's fun in The Martian, but I'm not sure that it's really, you know, groundbreaking work in any way. Um, it's perfectly okay, but, um, you know, it's nowhere near my favorite of the year. So Matt Damon's number four for The Martian. So a little bit of a surprise, but I mean, DiCaprio's going to be my number four. Um, the only reason he is not dead last is I will say the one time you actually get a semblance of who his character is, is when Dom Hall Gleason rescues him and he's in the fort and he's talking about the play, like he took everything I got. That was the only time where I was like, okay, there's something there. There is some kernel of character there. But so because of that, that's why I put him at number four and did not put him dead last. But it's, it's still like, again, like Joey said, a lot of huffing, a lot of puffing. A lot of climbing into deer carcasses. Just he wanted his fucking Oscar and he fucking got it. And it's just so yeah. So the Caprio's four. So my number four is Matt Damon. I'm I'm just tired. (laughs) (laughs) My number three is Brian Cranston for Trumbo. Um, I think Brian Cranston's a great actor, and you know he's really trying to show us everything he can do here in Trumbo. I'm just not sure if it's exactly working in quite the way um, that it should be. Um, so Brian Cranston is only my number three for Trumbo. Yeah, I agree with you, Brandon. Brian Cranston is also my number three. It's just a very okay performance and a very okay movie. Brian Cranston has done better. And I don't, this is, I don't think this will be the last time that the Academy will nominate him. And I'm sure it'll be for a better performance. But it's just very, very, very in the middle. And if this had been a stronger year, he would not have been nominated. So he, that's just right in the middle, like dead in the middle. My middle is actually Michael Fassbender at three. Again, he's not bad, but he's not great. And Ashton Kutcher is, again, the way better Steve Jobs. 
And it just boggles my mind that Ashen can't get in for that movie, but Fassbender got in here. And again, let's just, you know, be truthful. The only reason why is because it's written by Aaron Sorkin. That's it. Um, that's just the truth. That's just the truth of it. Like Leo DiCaprio got won this because it was a campaign win. Um, Fassbender, like I said, it just seems like very robotic. It's just, it's always one note in the realm of like, dick, 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 dick. Gotta be a dick again. And it's, yeah, Kutcher's way better. But um, don't hate it. Don't love it. It's fine in the middle. Um, so... My number two is going to be Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant. Um, kind of like Tom Hardy, I was just along for the ride for this one. You know, I understand that it's very, you know, in your face, and uh, he's really going for it in every single way. But for some reason, as an audience member, I was fine with it. As an Academy member, quote-unquote, not who I would pick, I'd go more for a Michael Fassbender. I think this role is very complex, and there's so much to dig for uh, there if you're really, you know, going for it and paying attention and all that. There's, like, so much little nuancey stuff uh, that he's doing. So um, I'm much more fascinated by this performance than any of the others. Uh, like Justin said, uh, it's a pretty um, lackluster lineup for, as a whole. And uh, Michael Fassbender is uh, the one that I'm the most um, fascinated by. So he's my winner for Steve Jobs. Um. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you, Brandon. So my runner-up is Damon. Um, again, he's solid. It's a great classic Hollywood role. But again, if any other year, it would have been a fifth slot nominee. Probably wouldn't get nominated. But even before like we did this and when I chose this year, I knew Fassbender was going to be my winner. Like there's just... There literally is no competition with him in this lineup. He is in a whole, whole whole other ballpark he's the only legit great performance in this lineup i think that it's everything that a performance should be for the lead actor uh category i think there's so much nuance i think he brings his own flair of steve jaws while also staying true to michael fassbender as the actor there's just no there's there's no competition like he should have won this should have been his oscar it's and I really hope that he does come back and do something new because he deserves a lot better than Dark Phoenix. And I think he's really amazing. But yeah, th no competition. Michael Fassbender easily takes the win for me. I love how you keep mentioning Dark Phoenix like it wasn't Assassin's Creed that totally derailed where he was at. <laughs> <laughs> I was like waiting for it. I'm like, say Assassin's Creed now. You're like, no, Dark Phoenix. Um <laughs> All right, so clearly I'm on a totally different level than you two for this for this year. Um, my runner-up is Eddie Redmayne. I'm giving the win to Brian Cranston. Let me start with Redmayne. It's a good performance. It's you know it's not it's not a terrible one, and it's just compared to the other three that I put, it just stands out in a better way for me acting-wise. Cranston though really should have won this. He's the only one in this lineup to give a fully developed character that isn't doing just one thing or isn't relying on a gimmick. He he gives you drama. He gives you comedy. He gives you tragedy. I mean, he gives you everything. Um, we have to remember Dalton Trumbo was very much like that. So is it a quote-unquote cookie-cutter biopic performance? Yeah, maybe it is. But you know what? It's the most... It's, it's the only one in this lineup that's doing 
more than what it's being asked of. And that's why I have to give it to him. Um, I think he should have won it on Oscar nights. I think he should win it now. And I would like the Academy to apologize and do the right thing. So as a recap, my winners are Brian Cranston and Tom Hardy. And I have Michael Fassbender and Mark Rylance. Well, me and Brandon agree. I Fassbender and Rylance. Yeah, we've, we're always, vibing, vibing. Always ask this. Anyone shocked by anyone's picks um, at all? Um, uh, not really. I, was, I wasn't sure how Justin would feel about Rylance, so um, pleasantly surprised there. But um, for the most part, not really. Um, yeah, not really surprised. I am kicking myself because I was going to put Fazbender as my pick for Brandon, but I'm like, that seems too obvious of a choice, and I. It was so obvious, and I still didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm kicking myself over it, but and I, oh, go, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, I was very shocked by your choice of Cranston. I did not see that at all coming. Like, um, I don't know. For some reason, I just thought the chaotic energy of Joey would line up with the chaoticness of Leo, and it's not a dig. But I'm glad that you felt the same way about Leo. I'm very, very happy. But, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm also kicking myself at Salone. Ugh, fuck, I should have like, I should have gone with Hardy. Fucking a, god damn it. Well, I gotta say, I'm, I'm, I am a little shocked with Rylance. I just don't. I will never listen. You know, <laughs> this is why we do it. So we talk about it. Mm-hmm. We get it out. But there is nothing that I think you could ever convince me that he actually does something here. Um. That's why I called him the, my Marina de Tavira of the men for this de- decade, which is funny because Brandon also chose her. And I'm so it just I, I was fascinated that both of you went that way. Um, I, I'm so intrigued to hear from Brandon, though. What the hell did I give off that you guessed me perfectly? Um, Brian Cranston is doing the most and Tom Hardy's MySpace ass picture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that is a glorious photo. Please, please, oh, share it with us at any time. Um, all right. Well, Justin, where can the uh, people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, uh, J. Lewis Edwards. That's Lewis spelled L-E-W-I-S and not L-O-U-I-S or whatever other way you spell it. So, uh, anyway, but yeah, so you can find me there. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I post thirst traps, so follow me. (laughs) All right, folks, well, we will see you next week when we go head-to-head again with Boyhood versus Birdman. Although, now that I'm saying that out loud, there's no lead actor in Boyhood, but there isn't supporting, um, so we'll see what happens there. All right, on the count of three, we're going to give the big old gay goodbye. Ready? One, two, three. Goodbye! Adieu!